Hello everybody, Bradley here, and it is House of the Dragon time. We are going to hop right in this episode. I don't have a big long intro, but just check everything in the show notes below. There's a Patreon, there's a Twitter, there's a Facebook group, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Rachel and I talk about a lot of things like Harry Potter. If you want to listen to us talk about Harry Potter, that's available right now and super fun. So I hope you go take a look at that. Otherwise, let's hop right into it. I don't want to make you wait around. Do you guys hate podcasts that make you wait around? I try my best not to. Let's go. All right, Rachel, we are here. Episode two, House of the Dragon, feeling good after episode one. This episode is called The Rogue Prince. It was directed by Greg Yatanis, who that name I recognize. So I'm assuming he directed some Game of Thrones. And it was written once once again by Ryan Condal, who is the showrunner and kind of main writer on the series uh, for the audience. Something you should know. Today, Rachel and I are both drinking. Last time, only one of us was drinking. So any attempt to contain this podcast to under two, two and a half hours or to keep it organized will be progressively foiled by us as we go along. So just expect that as we do it. But Rachel, how are you feeling about this episode? What are your overall thoughts? What is your rating? Feeling really good about this episode. Uh, really liked that we got to see, you know, Rhaenyra come a little more into her own. Cause I think in the first episode, she was maybe feeling a bit like a petulant child, but this one, it's more like, what if I was both petulant and had the ability to do something about it? So I really like this episode for that. That said, I did give it an eight. Yeah, you're lower this time. I think it does a really good job of getting across the plot points that it needs to. But there were just a few things. <sighs> Maybe my rating is affected by my annoyance at some of the decision that decisions that the characters made as opposed to the quality of the show itself. That's fair. So your rating, it can be based on anything. There's no rules to your rating. Yeah, so, so in terms of like the cinematography, cinematography and the music and the casting, like it's all ten out of ten. But just in terms of how I felt about how it went, eight out of ten. All right. Well, I'm gonna do the reverse. I'm gonna up my grade. This will be the first ever. Let's dive deep. Nine rating given by Bradley for anything. Now that is a lot because I I just haven't reviewed any shows that would have episodes that would hit number nine. So (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of faint praise, but that's okay. Um, This is influenced by a few things. One, for the audience, if you have not followed the other Let's Dive Deep stuff, uh, if you're putting the timelines together, you will know that I've been watching Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story at the same time as I've been watching this as a rewatch. And once you watch Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story and come back to this in the same day, all of a sudden, this feels a little bit better. So I, that is part of the influence. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize a show could be this good for a whole hour. So that is part of it. Secondly, and one of the parts of it is we, at least I don't know how Rachel's process is, but I always watch these episodes at least twice when I podcast about them. This time it was three times, um, but I always watch one for me. I just need to know how I felt just watching it, not knowing what to expect, just sitting down watching it, no microphone, no notes, no nothing, just as everyone else's experience. How do I feel? Then I need to watch it again to take all the notes for the podcast and kind of collect my thoughts, pick up things I didn't pick up the first time, and then kind of figure out how I want to discuss it. And through that process, uh, I often don't feel the same. I often feel better or worse about it because the uh, effort it takes to go through kind of scene by scene and take notes is a different style of watching to just kind of watching it without doing any of that. And this episode is so much better. Like I've enjoyed it so much more this time than the other times I have watched it because it's the first time I was really paying attention to like every word of dialogue and every 
way the scenes were staged and every bit of plotting and all the rest of it. And I think this episode in particular leaves a lot more for you if you're going scene by scene, word by word, to take notes for a podcast. And it was definitely, I felt better about it this time than I did watching it just for fun, which isn't common. Usually the just for fun watch is my favorite one. And then I nitpick more when you're doing the deep dive because that's obviously how it works. But this episode is the complete reverse. I found so much more this time that I just never noticed in the episode before because I had to go through it more slowly and pause and take notes and collect my thoughts and try and how do I want to frame this in a podcast? So yeah, I'm going to go nine out of 10. I really enjoyed it. It's amazing. It's well-crafted. I think an overall summary for the episode would be it could have been claustrophobic and repetitive after episode one, and it neither felt claustrophobic claustrophobic or repetitive like it just felt so fun to watch Mm -hmm. and the rest of what i liked about it i will talk about when we do the deep dive okay well now you make me want to change my rating no there's no rules there's no rules rachel if yours is an a it's an a and mine's a nine we're not competing this isn't like a we're not competing to see who can give things the highest ratings we're just it's all vibes your vibe was an a my vibe was a nine there's no need to change anything all right Remember last episode at the end where we both disagreed with ourselves in the awards we had given and then decided to, li- to leave them just for the steadfast principle. Then once you type it into the notes, that has to be what you... It's locked in. I'm locked in at eight. I'm so sorry. All right. I'm not sure anyone is going to get this seven-pointed star metaphor we're doing, but I'm sticking with it. I'm just going <laughs> to cram it down their throats uh, just, just because. Um, so point one was the overall thoughts. We've done that. We are on to point number two of the seven-pointed star which we're calling the Dragon Pit. It's our main discussion of the episode. And before we do that, just a quick spoiler warning. Uh, Rachel and I have both read Fire and Blood. For me, it was a while ago, and the the, mem- the memory of it is kind of iffy, but we have read the source material. And that source material is spoilable up until the point this episode ends. So we won't spoil Fire and Blood for you past this episode, but it is helpful for us to be able to compare and contrast with the source material up until the point that this episode happens. So that's mildly spoilery for Fire and Blood. And then all of Game of Thrones is on the table. If you have not watched Game of Thrones, and that's too bad for you, you should go watch it if you don't want to be spoiled here. Although we don't actively spoil it. So it's only if something comes up that we need to talk about. And then for House of the Dragon, just the nature of the way we're doing this, we have both seen all 10 episodes of House of the Dragon. So we're not going to intentionally spoil anything in episodes 3 through 10. But just because we know where things are going, we might accidentally latch on to things that you might not when you don't know where things are going. So that's a spoiler warning. Take it or leave it. But we are going to get into the episode. Rachel, we have an intro sequence missing from episode one. We had a gold dragon in episode one. No music, no intro. What did you make of the intro sequence, the Targaryen bloodlines and the animation sequence there versus the map in Game of Thrones and the reuse or the the redub of the Game of Thrones music for this show? Okay. I would have really liked it if, okay, sorry, restart. I do really like it. I think the idea of it is extremely cool. Uh, I just, the implementation of it is missing one thing for me, which is just context. So I feel (laughs) like, hear me out. If in that first scene, in the first episode, when they were talking about the trouble with bloodlines, and how they weren't sure how the inheritance would go, if they had started and then shown us the blood flowing so we could understand that we were seeing how the bloodlines were splitting, then I think we would have had the context for what the intro is. I think the intro is a fantastic idea because ultimately, 
like Game of Thrones is a question of scale, right? So you have the entire map, and as the season, as the show progresses, uh, you get to see more of the map. You get to see the entire like world of Westeros that we're dealing with, um, and it's kind of the same with uh, House of the Dragon, but because it's so much more centralized on one family. I would have liked if they had just given us some context for like as like each. I don't really know what it's called, like the little symbol things that the right. It does help if you know who is what symbol. Yes. Or else it's just a bunch of blood roaming through gold circles. Exactly. All right. Well, Rachel, I am going to shit all over this intro because it, I actively hate it and everything else about this episode and the show I love. So I'm just going to take my chance right now to actively hate something. I will defend it slightly at the end. We're going to go through a hate spiral and then a little bit of love at the end. Okay, okay, okay. How anyone that was making this show watched that intro and went, yep, people are going to understand what this is, is beyond me. I am not the, the nerdiest nerd in the Fire and Blood Targaryen lore, but I am up to speed. I know all these people. I know where this is meant to be starting. I know where everything is connecting. And I could not tell you who anybody in that tree is. I think Aegon the Conqueror at the beginning I got, and then I'm just kind of intuiting who he's going through. And then we get Jaehaerys' crown, and so I get that. But you kind of have to know that that was Jaehaerys' crown and that it was different from the crown of Aegon. So that's all fucked up and weird. And then, like, for one of them, one of the Aegon sisters, the one that gets the dragon or the arrow through the eye of the dragon... It is an arrow through a dragon eye, which makes sense. However, how anybody watching the show would even know that that happened because it's never been mentioned or seen on a television screen is bonkers to me. So this whole intro sucks. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. The extreme amount of money spent on this is a complete waste. It is the epit Like if I was leading a university class on great idea, poor implementation, this would be, you know, PowerPoint slide number one. I... I am primed to understand what is happening, and I have no idea what is happening. I can't even imagine that somebody watching this who has no idea what's going on is helped by this intro. In fact, they're probably even more confused. And separately, I think this is a bad idea because the bloodlines have to crisscross in weird ways because everyone's dating their mom and their cousin and their brother and their sister. So <laughs> if this was working in a non-incestuous society, it would start at the top and grow lower and wider as more people were birthed right like that that would be a, a natural progression mm -hmm. but because you know, emma is the mom of this person and the cousin of this person but those two are married and having kids so then it's down to this person like you can't go in a linear fashion with any of these relationships that is also confusing um the one bit of defending i will do is when this intro came out i i had the same opinion as most people which is it, it great idea poor execution is fundamentally the opinion i think almost everyone has However, there has been some Game of Thrones map revisionism that I will not stand for. People keep mm -hmm. saying that like that Game of Thrones map, it was so helpful and people knew where things were and people could understand what was going on. And for some episodes and some contexts, I agree, especially in season one, I think it was genuinely very helpful. Go to season five, episode six, pick, an, pick a season five episode. You know where that map never goes in season five once? Dorne. You know what plotline is happening in season five? They're all in Dorne. Like, like there are so many episodes in Game of Thrones where they do the intro for the whole season, or sometimes they'll split it for half the season. So whatever you get in episode one is the same map you're getting in episode four, and it does not matter 
who is going where? Like, there are whole sequences in Dorne where the map never takes you there because Dorne wasn't a thing when they made the map. There are whole sequences where Danny's like, moved on from one of the cities to the next one, and the map is still taking you to the one she was just at before. There are whole sequences where Winterfell is still burning despite the fact the Boltons have already fixed it. So I just... This Game of Thrones map revisionism, it's a far better intro, but, uh, like, there's just a lot of discourse that it was perfect, and it was so easy to understand, and everything always knew, everyone always knew what was going on. That's just revisionist history because you hate this intro which is also true so that's my hate spiral <laughs> about the intro the music though i know a lot of people didn't like the reuse of the music give it to me inject it into my veins i want every game of thrones prequel any game of thrones related ip this is like the star wars crawl i know what i want yeah. just give it don't fix something that's not broken yeah. i do not need a new game of thrones theme it's a great way to make sure like you're in this world and it's gonna be fucking awesome and so the music love the music keep the music don't change a thing uh, the intro, though, oh, I really hope we do like a painted table thing for season two or and but that it actually bounced around the locations because you know how much cooler this intro is if we take like a, a camera inside the Red Keep to all the different rooms and we can understand the layout like that would have been sick, too. Like there's yeah, I'm out on this intro. Sorry, that took we're not keeping this on time. I spent 12 minutes talking about this <laughs> stupid intro. But yeah, so that, if you if you watch this episode, and you like this intro. I am so sorry. Sometimes you just have a lot of feelings. All right. Do we? Do you have any extra thoughts on the intro? Or are we good to move on? I did not think it was as bad as you thought it was. That is all. <laughs> well, I would ask anyone, can you explain to me what's happening? Like, other, other than the surface level, there is blood going through the Targaryen lineage. But like... I think the metaphor is clear. The Even metaphor is very clear. Is. Yeah, that is true. The metaphor is undeniably clear. You understand? Maybe that makes it. Sorry, I'm just gonna keep going. Maybe that makes maybe that makes it worse, just because it's so close no. to good. Because it's so close to good. Like the fact that I understand what they were going for almost makes it worse. I don't know. Anyways, we're gonna start this episode in the small council chamber. Uh, Sir Ryan Redwine, Lord Commander of the King's Guard, killed off screen. Did we even know him? Who cares? Because the show doesn't give a shit at all, and we're just gonna move on. Harold uh, Westerling is in charge now. Uh, they are, what did Corlys say, dithering about court business. There's two different things happening. They're trying to find a new person for the Kingsguard because you need to have seven people on the Kingsguard and one of them is dead. And uh, Corlys is not happy because shit's happening in the step zones. It's getting worse. And now a ship with his banner has been taken out. So he's coming in to yell at everybody. How did you feel about the small council? I really felt like Corlys was justifiably angry in this scene here because... I feel like he could have been made to look like a, a dick if he just came in, like, slammed his hand on the table, which is exactly what he did. And then Viserys was like, oh, shit, you're right. We're going to send some ships. We're going to help you out. But no, he comes in and he's like, people are dying. And now it's my people. And it's my shit. And Viserys is like, hmm, that seems like a you problem. Yeah, Otto's like, like, I will, we will pay you for your ships. And of course, that's not the fucking point, my guy. That is, I, I got lots of money. I can pay for the ships. That is not the point. That is not what I want here. Yeah, and then Viserys with like a shit-eating grin. He's like, I've sent envoys. I've done, <laughs> I've done like, so much, Corlys. <laughs> I am a king of said, action. You sent messengers to the people who are probably attacking you. Like, ah, uh, Viserys is annoying in this scene. You're out on Viserys' Viserys's pacifism. I just... I don't feel... Ev oh, 
I feel like he could have gotten to, I'm searching for a diplomatic solution. I don't want to send ships to you right now, Corliss. Without pissing Corliss the fuck off. I feel like he had a smug demeanor the entire time. Yeah, I agree with that. I, this actually, there's one of the reasons I give this episode nice, something to do with Corliss and Viserys that I picked up later on in the episode that I think is really fascinating to think about. I think in this scene, it's very well done because um, Corliss is justified in the sense that there's a few things going on. One, this affects him more than it affects everyone else because his house is the one that runs these shipping lanes and his house is one of the first houses that would get hit by these trade routes going down. So, of course, he cares more. Mm -hmm. um, within his position of master of ships, these are ships being taken out, right? The problem with Viserys is not that he won't send ships to Corlys. He's not letting Corlys use his own ships. Like, Corlys is not asking for other people's ships to get killed there. He's just asking, like, hey, can I send mine to go fuck him up? Like, I'll take the hit. I just want to go deal with the situation. So it's even more frustrating because Corliss just wants to deal with this himself and is being prevented from doing that. He's not asking the king, like, hey, can you get the Lannister ships from the other coast to sail all the way around and help me out? Um, so, yeah, Corliss is completely justified here. However, it is balanced against what I think is uh, what the show wants us to believe is a good instinct from Viserys. Like, we know he's passive and can't make hard decisions and whatever. But if we didn't know that, this idea, like, look, man, like, I, I sympathize with your problem. Right. I've sent the envoys. I'm trying the diplomatic solution. We got to see if that works first, because if that doesn't work and we got to go to war here, then everything's fucked up. Like, we're losing a lot more than just the trade route. So once again, it's Viserys having a hard time being the king. But like most things, I think Viserys does have good instincts as a human being. They just don't translate yeah. well to being the king, if that makes sense. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, the other thing happening here is Otto just straight up telling on himself, just... Just, he does this all the time where he just tells on himself. Corliss is yapping at the king and telling him he's not doing anything. And then I was like, oh, I caution you, sir, that a seat at the king's table does not make you his equal. It's like, shut the fuck up, Otto. Like, you are you are telling on yourself here. Fully. And then, oh, I was so pissed. Where, like, okay, Rhaenyra was right. When she says, we have dragon riders, we should remind them. Yeah. Like, just take Three dragons and just Rhaenys, Damon, Rhaenyra, go. Or probably Lenor, because he's like 15. He probably already has sea smoke. Sorry, no spoilers. You're all good. Uh, you just go and you light up the beach and you're like, we have three fucking dragons. Are you going to keep occupying this beach? Like, she's right. Like, that's why you have dragons, is to make people fear you. And I just, it pissed me off that as soon as she suggested the idea, Otto was like, Oh, maybe she's so overwhelmed. She doesn't understand politics. Like, <laughs> shut up, Otto. Yeah, there's like, a lot There's a lot going on here. Otto, indeed a prick, sending her to the Kingsguard thing to deal with that. Um, but what I like, I think Rhaenyra's right obviously however mm -hmm. this is still the the writing is so good that this is perfectly within viserys's character rainier is mm -hmm. right in the sense that like dad like what the fuck we have dragons like why these problems don't need to exist for us like they can exist for yeah. everyone else we do not need to have these problems because we have dragons and they do not have dragons so we can just show up with our dragons and do whatever mm -hmm. we want and that's like that is yeah. that is how the targaryens conquered the continent in the first place they just showed up with their dragons and did whatever they wanted so that is a good instinct from rainier to be like hey 
As the people in charge with the dragons, we can figure this out with the dragons. Viserys, though, doesn't like the dragons. They're a thing men should never have trifled with. Of course he's not going to send in the dragons. Like, that makes perfect sense for his character. One of the, one of the things we concretely know about the guy is yeah. that he had a dragon. It was the biggest, baddest fucking dragon, and then it died. And he is of the opinion that the dragons do more harm than they do good, right? They have been helpful in the past. There are situations in which they can be helpful, but it, but but using them at all is not worth the price that we might pay for it. So I would rather deal with the stepstones without them. So I think it's perfectly within his character. We just also, to be fair, we're watching a television show and we really, as the audience, want to see badass dragon teenager go fuck up the crab feeder. Like, we're just so desperate for that. It's so much easier to cheer for Rhaenyra's position because we want to see it. Whereas it's harder mm -hmm. to cheer for Viserys' position because it's like, oh, that's not quite as fun, is it? Like, I, I came to the show to watch the dragons fuck people up, so I kind of like if the person in charge would also like the dragons to fuck people up. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'd be behind it if he was ever actually right about it, but every time he's like, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't use the dragons. It's a good it's time like, to use them. You could have used a fucking dragon here. Yeah, if Rhaenyra was like, hey, I'm going to make uh, chicken kebabs for dinner. I'm going to use the dragon to you know, burn them up a little yeah. bit and cook them. And he was like, we we have ovens and grills. Like, we can yeah. not use the dragons for this. I think that... And, like, Viserys kind of a vibe. But when they're like, hey, there's literally a war on your doorstep. And he's like, no dragons. <laughs> That's fair. Like, um, <laughs> we are going to have to move on to the Kingsguard stuff. But before we do, Rhaenyra gains okay. sent to do that. And, again, Viserys has good instincts, right? Like... I don't think she should be kicked out here. I think she's the right of it. And I think Otto only wants her kicked out for his own power play and to keep Rhaenyra out. We can talk about this a little, though, because surely if you're Otto and you spent the last episode wanting Rhaenyra to be the heir, at this point, the king has not decided to marry Alicent. And so you don't know if there's going to be any more heirs, but you still hate Damon. You would want Rhaenyra to be in these conversations because you would still assume that she will one day be in charge so that doesn't make for those listening. You missed me pointing to all the different things in the my room. It's, it's, it's I'm a just, constellation. Yeah, um, it, that makes no sense. Why Otto would not want Rainier to be a confident and capable ruler? It's, but it's so whatever. frustrating. I I made the same note. I was like, you made her the heir, like on your recommendation. If you think she's not doing it right, fucking teach her. Yeah, and, and so I think Viserys' instincts are correct on the thing that like Otto just wants her gone. Viserys is the one that picks the Kingsguard as the thing to go take her to. And the instinct of, hey, she is going to be in charge one day. And this knight, ideally, will be guarding her as well, both now and in the future. She should get a say in who does that, which I think is a reasonable instinct, considering he could have just also just sent her away and be like, ah, we have enough wine. Be gone, Rhaenyra. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mix. Otto sucks. And Viserys, again, good instincts, maybe bad decision making, but sends her to go figure out the Kingsguard sitch. I just, my issue with both the the small council scene and this scene is also just like, it's it's the same issue with Otto. If he really wanted her to succeed as heir, everything he tries to teach her in these two scenes would be better served if he had talked to her about it before. If he had given her any actual guidance. But in the scene where she's choosing the Kingsguard, he only ever truly expresses his disappointment when it's too late and she's already defensive. Yeah, you'd think Otto would have gone in with a hey. So here's how we normally do this. You're picking, but here's, here's my advice. That 
there's relationships and politics and this is a largely ceremonial role and all these knights have passed fair trial so like the king's guard has already yeah. tested them they're all confident and capable right there's nobody actively attacking the king all the time anyway like this is fine they're all capable and so you are allowed to skip to some of the more political angles because you don't have to worry yeah. that the the security is compromised by doing that it's yeah that, yeah that makes sense as a thing to do before you're right so that's, that's just what drove me crazy is because like there's side shots of him kind of like rolling his eyes or being like oh no i'm like this was probably it was your idea to send her somewhere else it was your idea to give her a different task either you want her deli to deliberately fail and then you just say nothing or you're just a god-awful teacher i would accept both about otto because i hate him it's definitely the second one because at this point i'm struggling <laughs> to find a reason within the last two episodes why otto would expressly want rainier to fail like he doesn't he's mm -hmm. terrified of damon and there's no other options for air so like even if he doesn't yeah. want her to succeed surely he wants her not to fail more than that this kingsguard yeah. scene though awesome there's so much going on there's a chess board where each king guard like who is the person who had to carve each chess piece for harold to move in front of rainier yeah, no one but rainier can see it like this isn't something that was weird i'm not sure i understand what that was for that was that was the set deck budget needing to be spent you know when you get a budget and if you don't <laughs> if you don't spend it it gets taken away for them. Taken away, yeah, yeah. They're like if you want your full season two set deck budget you got to spend it and they were like shit what do we spend it on so they had yeah they've carved out little king's guard things so that was pretty cute um rainiera makes a reasonable decision she's looking through all the king's guards and she asks about the combat experience now what's interesting here is we're not let to know what rhaenyra knows before that because she doesn't ask she asks sir harold who has combat experience there's no answer to that and then when sir Kristen steps up she goes you have combat experience like she already knew that which i thought was interesting but anyways uh, Sir Kristen, he has battled in the Dornish marches. He has not uh, uh, only, he has not stopped at just taking down poachers like the other dudes. And he gets picked. And it helps that he's the hottest one. He's the hottest one. He has battle experience. We're doing it. I mean, literally my notes said, he's seen combat, but also he's hot. So obviously <laughs> he is hired. That's exactly right. It's very television-esque where it's like you saw him yeah. in episode one and you knew he was going to be important because he was a named character who was attractive. Good hair. His nice hair. Yeah. Um, the very good, uh, well, they're spending the set deck budget. This show does a lot of good visual storytelling. Like all the other Kingsguards, they came from noble houses. They had squires. They had banners. Kristen Cole had none of that shit. Otto is still so good at mixing in his personal agenda with his actual advice. Um, when Rhaenyra has no idea what to say to these people, and he goes like, thank them for their service, Rhaenyra. And she does that, and the guy seems all satisfied. It's like, that was... Like a small moment of genuinely good, unencumbered, apolitical device that was, or advice that was helpful for Rainier. It's like, Otto, why can't you just do this more for more people? Like, you can do it, and you just choose not to. Ugh. Fucking Otto. Okay, we're moving on. That's how we feel about the King's Guard scene. Fucking Otto. Also, he left a meeting that was so important that he needed to be at. Yeah. So now he's not at the meeting that's in, whatever. You know what? We're moving on. Um, Alicent, in the king's chambers, uh-oh, this could only end in one place, and it sure does end there at the end of this episode. <laughs> Alicent and Viserys have what I would describe as 
a genuinely pleasant relationship had I not been aware of the fact that she's being pimped out by her dad. Because this seems genuinely just kind and compassionate. Like, they do these little lunches, they talk about the models, they hang out. They're clearly not, like, messing around. Viserys clearly isn't, like, making overt sex. Like, he's not, like, it doesn't seem like he's particularly like you know playing for the marriage like when he has to make a decision later and he weighs it up it's clear he sides with the person he's comfortable with but it seems in the moment he's just genuinely enjoying her company like he's not making any weird like sexual harassment kind of things or anything they're just hanging out and that's kind of cool to see allison who's we've usually seen as like this ancient ancient anxious <laughs> best friend to Rhaenyra who's like picking her nails and whatever and Viserys who we've only seen him be stressed because his wife and child have died just to have a moment to like talk about shit was kind of nice actually I forgot that I thought this scene was you know other than the situation that got us here once you accept the premise and you're in the scene it was kind of nice they're talking about Valera the models he's a fucking nerd it's cool yeah I thought it was really nice I think out young Allison is very compassionate and I think helpful to Viserys, especially when he's just initially starting to grieve. That said, I did have some issues with this scene. Okay, first of all, Viserys broke a dragon. Um, yeah, that was on the nose foreshadowing. I wonder if that's going to be important later. I don't hey, know. Hey, I'll also throw in, what do we make of Alice in fixing it? We'll talk about it later. But if we're going to go like, is breaking the dragon important? Is Alex in, is Alice in fixing the dragon also? Oh, the stonemasons fixed it. She just presents. Sure. This is exactly what I'm saying. Like, which parts <laughs> of this are important for the lore and which parts are foreshadowing and which parts aren't. It's fascinating to think about. But yeah, the, 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 the dragon king without a dragon breaking the dragon in a show called House of the Dragon that we know is about uh, cool. a lot of dragons fighting each other is, you know, it's on the nose. <laughs> Just a little. But what I really, what was really difficult for me about this scene was that he wants to talk to Allison about Rhaenyra at a time when their relationship is like very much in a gray area like it's not clear are they courting is he talking to her as a potential wife is he only letting her into his chambers because she's his daughter's best friend it's so I like I just don't like the angle where he's like I don't know how to talk to Rhaenyra and she's like I can tell you how to talk to her I'm like of course you know how to talk to her you're her best goddamn friend maybe you should I find this be. interesting we're so far 30 minutes and we've disagreed more about this House of the Dragon episode than we've disagreed about anything we've ever talked about I didn't have yeah. that feeling at all because I think the premise is that Otto is sending Allison to do this. Viserys is mm -hmm. like has not yet clued into the marriage angle, right? Which he will by the end of the episode, but within this scene has not yet clued into the marriage angle. I don't think he's actively grooming her or genuinely I don't think he's thinking about her as a potential wife. I just think yeah. out of all the fucking people in this castle, Allison is A, the only one that shows up and he doesn't need to seek out any more people because she's genuinely nice and kind to him and does a good job helping him through the grief. Mm -hmm. And so why not just hang out with her more? And they're what they're chatting about is like, Valeria if also if I'm Viserys like and I need to try and figure out how to connect with my daughter who else am I gonna ask like it would be Al regardless of whether this was happening the only person I could ask for help with Rhaenyra would be Alicent so I didn't I yeah. didn't I didn't attribute any ulterior motive because there was no other option like if he wants to connect with Rhaenyra and he has decided he needs to reach out for advice on how to do that I can't think of any better people to chat to 
Um, so yeah, I, I had no, none of those. I have problems later, but none of those problems happen in this scene, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it, but also he's like, hey, I have all these issues, issues with Rhaenyra. I'm like a little upset about them, but also you would never tell her that we talked, right? That part is you a little would, weird, and I find it would, and I find it interesting because part of that's just a little weird and creepy. However, the show is asking us to accept a premise that's a little weird and creepy because it's weird and creepy for us in our time, but not weird and creepy. Like what's happening in the show's time? This is all above board. Like above this is board. this is all above board. This is normal. If people walked in on this, it would not be weird. Do you know what I mean? And so like this is all cool within the show's universe. So, um, but yeah, part of it is like. It's a little weird to ask her not to talk to Rhaenyra about it. However, I, w I will say two things about this. I routinely, um, just through my work, you're about to look at me like, do you routinely do this? No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> but just at work, I routinely have to ask people for opinions about other people, right? And so just for like, just for supervising people and trying to figure out how they're doing. We work kind of on an island and everyone splits out across the island to do different things at different times. So you can't be everywhere at once. So, so much of my job is forging these types of relationships with people where like the closer you are to someone, the more I'm going to come to ask you about them because you'll have the answers I need. But also that means you need to develop a lot of trust in me that I won't spill the beans, but I also need to develop a lot of trust in you that you will actually tell me the truth about this person Right. And so I have this kind of thing happening all the time at work where it's like two people will come and they are friends from wherever and they come to work where I work for a season. Right. And I need to figure out how person B is doing at something or how they're feeling, if they're homesick, how they're how they feel about the work, whatever. Right. And I can't get those answers directly from them. So I go to person A, who's their friend, and I ask about some of those things. Right. And so, like, I have to develop these kinds of relationships all the time. So I'm a little more. Like, I get it. Like, I don't want... Like, I'm I'm honestly trying to find an answer here in good faith, right? Like, I think Viserys in good faith wants to reconnect with Rhaenyra and is trying to, in good faith, find a way to do that. Like, I don't think there's any ulterior motive here, right? But to do that effectively, he knows Rhaenyra would not be happy if she found out that Alicent was doing this all the time. The same way I understand that if I'm talking to person A, Right. Person B is probably not going to be stoked if person A is just spilling the beans and I go and tell a bunch of people about it. So, like, I kind of get it. I kind of also get like, he tells he's scared of his daughter, man. Like, he, he, he's scared of right near. He would rather face the black dread. I think this is all this whole scene adds up to me. Like, it all adds up uh, on, an <laughs> on an abacus. I'm sliding all the dots across like it's all making sense to me. Okay, no, hear me out. What if instead of him keeping it a secret from Rhaenyra and being like, being like super weird with Allison, what if he just had them both up to his chambers? He's like, I'd really like some company. You guys are best friends. Do we all want to hang out? It'd probably be weird for a bit, but like they serve 13 year olds wine in this universe. It would get normal real quick. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't know if Viserys is handling this pro properly. I just think he's handling it at the as he would as Viserys, and that it's all lining yeah. up for me. Well, like, Viserys' whole thing is never making the best decision. So, like, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised he's not making the best decision here. I'm, I'm picking the nits a little early. That's okay. Separately, I'm going to talk about something. I am not above finding things in House of the Dragon attractive. Y'all got Kristen Cole in back-to-back -back episodes now, and his hair, and that looks nice. <laughs> Allison's dress 
It wasn't the nicest dress I've ever seen. Something about the rectangles, like the negative space from the rectangles was definitely doing something for me. It's like across the collarbones and up the side. And the rest is like super like um, conservative. And I was like, what a fun little bit of flair. I was I don't know. I just that dress. I was like, I didn't even notice. But this time I was like, you know what? This dress is hot. I like this dress. Out of all the dresses worn on the show, this one's attractive. And I'm just, I just need to say that. Everyone, it is a really great dress. It's a lovely dress. I, I like that dress. I don't know why specifically. It was something about the negative space created by the rectangles. That was like, it did something. But of course, that was the whole point. Because that's why they made it. Like, you could tell when they were making it, they're like, people are going to think this is cool. Yeah. And I did. So did Viserys. <laughs> so did Viserys. <laughs> and so did Viserys. Okay, we're moving on. We're at the Sept with Alicent. Allison in the same dress. So this is happening. I mean, Allison prone to wearing the same dress for three weeks at a time or whatever. So that's weird. Yeah. But we are in the same dress at the Sept. And she is kind of teaching Rhaenyra how to pray. Like, she is taking Rhaenyra through the grief that she went through. Like, I also lost my mom. This is how I dealt with it. I think this Sept is wasting a colossal amount of wax. I'm not sure that all of these candles were necessary. However, love that Alicent is kind of taking Rhaenyra through this. So something she has never done before. She's not doing this whole faith thing, um, but she still kind of commits to it and, and has that emotional breakthrough, I think. Yeah, I, f I had such like a 180 on this scene. Initially, I really, really liked it. Like the first half of the scene, I'm super invested. And I'm really all in on Alicent being there for Rhaenyra. And I really, really bought Millie Alcock's performance of, like, trying to pray for the first time and experiencing that grief and not really knowing how to express that grief in a spiritual way. Because that doesn't just come to people. It's something you kind of have to teach yourself. But then the, the longer the scene goes on, and you will more than likely disagree, <laughs> I, just, I just hate that... Rhaenyra basically spells out all of the things that she really wishes Viserys would do for her. Or maybe not for her, but just, like, would think about in relation to her. Just, like, I'm older now. I'm grown. I can make decisions. I I just want to be taken seriously and considered. And Allison just takes this and does fucking nothing with it. And it just feels... It just feels like Especially because the scenes are so close. She, she goes from Viserys and then she goes to Rhaenyra and she's like, how could you relate to your father better? And then she takes all of this information and she tells Viserys nothing. Okay, you know I what? Know. You know what? I completely disagree. Once again, we're on like four seasons. Oh! Here's what I think happened. Here's my okay. impression of how Allison did this. And I quite like this from Allison. She has already talked to Viserys and done her part and like, you need to go talk to Rhaenyra. Like, you... And Rhaenyra need to talk. Like, that is a thing, right? Like, you need to go do that. And then she gets to Rhaenyra, and Rhaenyra is having all these problems. And she's like, you need to go talk to Viserys. Like, you gotta go, right? So I think the reasoning she doesn't go to Viserys with all these things is because she tells Rhaenyra to go do that. And then we see later in the episode, Rhaenyra and Viserys both go and do that. So I think Alicent has been negated in this. I think she's done the right thing. She has first tried to get them to talk to each other about their problems. Right, and has told both parties, you need to talk to each other. And then both both of those parties did. So I think Allison's job is done. Allison's bowed out. So I did my I did the matchmaking. I, I heard from both these people. 
that they have issues with the other. I just got to get them in a room to talk to each other. Mission accomplished. So I'm with Allison on this one. I think she did fine. But I think if you're meddling to that degree, you're already in so deep. You've already, you're already in the deep end. So you want her to go like sleeper agent Allison and be like, you know what? If I'm going to be pimped out to Viserys, well, I may as well support my best friend while doing it. I just mean, Rainier, so Viserys literally told her, I'm scared of my daughter of 15. I don't know what she wants. And then while kind of fishing for that information from Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra literally says, I just want him to see me as a grown-up. Yeah, so Allison is the only one with all the information. Like, both of these people have half the information. She is the one in the middle with all the information. And, and, And you can see, based on, like, the questions she asks and how she's gearing the conversation, that she's having the entire thing with what she heard from Viserys in mind. So it makes no sense to me that she wouldn't just go to Viserys and be like, Rhaenyra wants you to see her as an adult. She wants you to take her seriously. That's yeah. all she wants sure. from you. And then we look at like the scene two scenes from now, which we will discuss. And I think that goes completely differently. If Allison, if Allison is going to play a double agent, at least like be fucking good at it. I don't know. <laughs> so- <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna agree to disagree on this one, uh, which is great. I think that's a way better podcast if we don't agree on everything. I, I, which is fun because then we're gonna get the emails of like which side the listeners were on. Like, oh, this Brad guy's a fucking idiot. It's like, oh, I don't know. Rachel's opinion was really silly, so I, I'm excited to see what the emails say because we're like four scenes in with four completely different reads on them, which is awesome. Um, a few other things in this scene in the set that I just wanted to call out. Love just a contrast between Allison's piety and Rhaenyra's. Uh, the Targaryens have a weird relationship with the faith that I won't kind of spoil here. I'll leave it to you to find if you want to find it in Fire and Blood. Um, but it's not like they're not all in on the... There's one called Baylor the Blessed that comes after this, and they kind of get on board closer to then, some of them. Um, but mostly they're not really on board with the Seven. Uh, for, for the parts they are on board, they get... Um, Jaharis has kind of got exceptions to the parts they don't like, like the doctrine of exceptionalism. It's like, you know, we'll pretend to truck with the seven, but you gotta let us do incest. You gotta let us marry multiple people. You know what I mean? And so, like, <laughs> even the parts that they've agreed to be on board with, they've kind of carved out exceptions for the incest and the marrying multiple people bit. So, like, they're not, they're not following along. And um, I just thought Millie Alcock's acting here the tears welling up. Um, I put a thing, I actually don't want to try and figure it out now that I've thought about it, but I was interested at the time, like, what does she wish, like, what specifically is she wishing for? Is it the thing she says out loud? Does she have something else in mind? Um, I I thought that was maybe an interesting thing. We move on to Viserys, the first Targaryen. Also, there's a scene, is it, yeah, it happened at the end of episode one. Sorry, I want to talk about this. It happened at the end of episode one. I didn't clock it until I was editing the podcast and then i went back and watched some things at the end when viserys stands up and after everyone's bowed to rhaenyra he says i viserys targaryen first of his name he refers to himself in the third person he doesn't say first of my name and i just wanted to bring it up so someone could email me and let me know the etiquette because that was strange he says i viserys targaryen first of his name which to me should have been first of my name because i'm viserys targaryen but anyways i just wanted to bring that up here 
uh, Vizzy T and the Valerions. Uh, I don't have much to say about this. This is a great spot where we can just move along uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, he shows up. Uh, Corliss pretends to be apologetic for the outburst he had. They talk more about the step zones. We get some cool fucking sea shit from Corliss. Like, you must never wait. The storm's coming. You must sail directly into it, which sounds like a bad idea to me. Or you can sail all the way around it, but you can't. <laughs> You sail into it or around it. You never await its coming. That's what I'm saying. I don't think sailing around it or into it. Like, he makes it sound like there's two good options and one obviously bad option. They all sound bad. Like, there's a storm. You can either wait for the storm to hit you or you can sail into it. <laughs> Both, you end up with the storm. Or you can spend an immense amount of time and effort going around it. And and to more to that point, I think Viserys is trying to go around it with these envoys or whatever, which Corliss specifically didn't like. So whatever. Corliss is saying cool sea shit what i loved is that it was themed to his house that it was cool sea shit metaphors from the boat guy no one else has given us the boat metaphors um once viserys uh feels attacked and he goes you paint such an aspiring portrait of my rain rain he's just doubles down he's like you're a fucking idiot that's my recap on the scene also an honest one cousin yeah i i wish this conversation had happened but well okay i think for dramatic effect it's very, very good with Corliss and Rainey's. I think if you want a more effective conversation, a more productive one, I think it's just Rainey's. Yeah. You leave I think Corliss so. out of it. Corliss is too proud. Rainey's can actually talk to Viserys like an equal, and she does. Every time, every time Viserys is like, hey, Corliss, maybe you're overstepping. Rainey's is like, but I'm fucking not. What are you going to do about it? And nothing, because he respects her as an equal. So I, I just wish this conversation had happened just between the two of them, because she was never wrong, and he never, like, really tried to argue with her. So I think that would have been better. I agree that it would have been more productive without Corliss there, but hey, you know what? This conversation is awesome. Um, it serves two functions. Yeah. We learn a lot about the reasons why the crown is perceived to be vulnerable, all of which are fair reasons, and all of which are almost entirely Viserys Targaryen's doing, so that's all fair. Um, and then Chekhov's Lena arrives on the scene, is what I put in my notes. <laughs> Lena. Lena Valerion is here, uh, or Val- Valerion. We, we we saw her in the tournament in episode one. Her and Lena were both there in the audience. We had one establishing shot of both of them. Um, so this is not the first time we've seen her on the screen. Shouts to that actress getting paid for that first episode. I did acting when I was a kid, and unless they've changed the rules, um, if your face is, like, visible, you're getting paid a lot more for that episode. And I can pick out Lena visibly. They do, like, an establishing shot. So shouts to her collecting that episode one paycheck for just sitting there. Awesome work for the, was she 13 or 12 or whatever? Um, but, yeah, but this scene is also... Uh, helps us establish Lena and this marriage pact, this marriage proposal, but also the fact that um, what's cool about this is we get Corliss here going over all the reasons Viserys should marry Lena. Um, we also get later people confirming those reasons, so it wasn't just Corliss gassing himself up. Like this is all like a legitimately good idea and for the realm. Yeah. And so yeah, this is Lena's arrival on the scene is basically this. Mm-hmm. I love Lena, especially little Lena. Are we at the first scene where they talk yet? Are no, we... we're going to go to Rainier first and then over to Lena. Okay. Okay. Well, just right from the outset, Lena's the best. I love her. You like little Lena? I like little I Lena. Um, finally, I put in my notes as this occurred to me that the problem they were talking about was the stepstones. And I'm not sure how him marrying Lena solves the stepstones issue at all. 
it does solve the weakness problem, which is which is still on point for the the conversation. But I think Coralus is pulling a fast one. I think Coralus is adding the stepstones thing into this proposal, and I'm not sure how it's exactly related. Uh, but that's all right. We have Vis Viserys Targaryen and Rhaenyra. They're talking about. Um, I think Alicent's uh, matchmaking here went perfectly. You disagree, but either way, we are here with Rhaenyra and v Viserys Targaryen, and they are trying to talk to each other. Rachel, does it go well? Absolutely not. No, I just... And this is where I feel frustrated with Alicent, because there are some very obvious barriers here to an effective conversation that she, playing both sides, would have been extremely privy to. Oh, so can, I add, like can I add a you. metaphor here? If this was like a boxing match, yeah, she could have gone to both corners with the towels and the water bottles and like prepped him for it. Like, hey, this is the conversation. This is what you're getting into. This is what Rainier is going to say. This is how you got to respond to it. You know your dad. He's grieving. He's thinking about this new wife. This is this is how this is what his feelings are. Like she could have prepped him both for this conversation so that those barriers were already lower. I feel like I don't okay, disagree. I think she could have done that. Like I think she could have gone and done that. But I can't I can't think of a better metaphor, but like the only one that's sticking in my head, and this is extremely dumb, is if you have a coach for like a quarterback and also like a a receiver and you go to the quarterback and be like, he can only catch it if you throw it this way. And then you go to the running back and be like, he can only throw it to you accurate, accurately if you run this way. All right. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com if you would like to tell us which metaphor was better. But we are both in agreement that Allison could have done more to make she this conversation easier. Because I think they get off on the right foot. They start with wanting to be emotionally vulnerable. And then, okay, so first of all, Radir is too glib. She keeps making jokes. She keeps reminding Viserys that he's the king. All he wants to be in, in this dinner, in this moment, is her father. So she keeps pushing him away. But she thinks she's just being kind of low-key and kind of funny. So she keeps doing it. And then all Rhaenyra wants is to be considered an adult. But every time she tries to express an actual adult opinion, he says, you're young, you'll learn. That was truly jarring. So it's just, they both make an effort, but neither of them, I guess if you want to go with my shitty metaphor, like receive the pass correctly. They're just not ready to take what's been offered to them. And they both kind of fumble it really badly. Yeah, I completely agree. I was really thrown off the first time I watched this, that Viserys, it makes perfect sense for his character in retrospect. And now that I've watched this again, like it's all, all the, again, all every... I love this episode. Every brick is adding up within the character. But for mm -hmm. him to not even engage with Rhaenyra when she says, like, hey, about the small council earlier, like, that is the conversation they need to have. Like, hey, I was listening. I thought I had a good idea. Even if you disagree with it, like, can we talk about the idea? And Viserys should be like, hey, these are the reasons. Because if Viserys just goes, because I'm giving Viserys a lot of credit in his head, but if he mm -hmm. actually says, hey, Rhaenyra, look, you know how I feel about the dragons, and I'm the king. I don't like using the dragons. I've never liked using the dragons. I do not want us to trifle the dragons. You have a dragon. That's great, right? When you are in charge and you're the monarch, like you're the heir, I'm not going to take that away from you because you have a dragon. You can use dragons to solve your problems. But as long as I'm in charge, I would like not to use dragons to solve my problems. 
right? That's an effective conversation where you still get to the same spot, but they're actually like talking about it. I was shocked yeah. that he didn't say that, that he just simply said, yeah, you'll learn. Bye. Like, we're not talking about it. He's like, you're young. You'll learn. I'm like, no one's fucking teaching her. How is she going to learn? Right. That's exactly right. She doesn't even know what she did wrong. Yeah. I, don't e I don't even think she did anything wrong. But if she did do something wrong, no one tells her what it is. And it's it's frustrating. Yeah, I put in my notes, don't shut Ray down like this. What the fuck? She's smarter than you. <laughs> Anyways, um, the other moment in this scene that I really liked is Rhaenyra is genuinely proud of herself for this Kingsguard shit, which is the most teenage... So it is so adorable. It's like it's like she went and washed dad's car. It's like I even got between the the I even vacuumed between the seat cushions. Yeah, I, I, like, like I changed the mats. In, yeah, yeah, that's right. In in questioning all you didn't question shit. You didn't question a single night. You're making this up. Like in questioning all the nights, I found that Sir Kristen was the only one with battle experience. We will now be defended by a battle-hardened veteran of the Dornish marches. And he's like, and like he is genuinely like proud of that he's, so proud. he's genuinely proud and like but doesn't know how to say that so all he says is like he will be a fine knight of the fine knight of the king's guard but like almost approving of her method like yes good reasoning and decision making but he can't say that which is great character work because if he had said that then then i would have been like oh why couldn't you just be open in the last conversation so that worked really yeah. well um, but separately because he's the king like this is such a trivial bullshit issue you know what i mean like he's like he doesn't care because he knows he knows what we know is that any of those knights would have done a fine job and that like it's all mostly ceremonial anyway and it's all good right yeah. so he's like he's given his daughter what he feels is like the most trivial kingly task and she's taken it so seriously <laughs> and like is so proud of herself for doing it well i love that exchange i thought it was perfect yeah it was i liked it all right. I lost the train of thought at the end. We can probably. You're all you're all good. We're moving on. Uh, in the next scene, I have a few issues. None of them are actually with the scene. They're just more personal things. Um, first off, I just didn't need to see the maggots. Like that's too many maggots. I get that they're helpful. It's too many. It's too many maggots. I get that it's a real world medical solution that we still use today. Happy about that. That it's like the one medical thing y'all do correctly back then. That's awesome. Um, didn't need to see it separately. Separately, we're. I'm getting to my nits to pick, but I brought this up in episode one, so I feel like I can bring it up now. Uh, they're talking about the marriage, which we'll talk about in a sec, but he's talking to Otto, and Otto's like, yo, we got to talk about this at the small council, and Viserys is like, is that not what I'm presently doing? And I was like, no, there's no balls. They're not in the halls. This is a conversation between two homies. We put, we made the small council balls, and we put them in the fucking thing, and that's when we're in the small council. This is just, you're coming by for a chat. We're having a few beers, and I'm getting my hand eaten by maggots this is casual this is yeah, not this is not a work we've gone for beers after work this is not on yeah. the books this is not on the record so yeah i just if we're gonna have the small balls as a clock in clock out system then we gotta stick to it this is an unauthorized small council meeting that i will add does not even include the whole small council i hate actively dislike that this small council shit i get that it happens but like the balls make it confusing yeah i just <sighs> Like, maybe it's okay because he's the hand and the hand is supposed to be like... It's obviously king. okay because that's how this well, works. Like, it's just that the balls, they, they've done the balls what as... What the a, balls for? That's exactly right. It, it minimizes the balls. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> this is okay. Obviously, this is how this works. And I'm pro this. Viserys should be talking to a small council whenever he can, whenever he wants, at every opportunity. He should not limit himself to the meetings. But then we got to take care of the balls. 
They added balls to the show. I did not add balls to the show. They showed me balls that were a clock in, clock out system. And I'm just trying to figure out how that system works because it clearly does not matter. I mean, they added balls in Game of Thrones. They didn't have this. They didn't have the small council balls. No, they have balls. They have lots of balls in Game of Thrones, and they're not taken care of either. Ramsay Bolton <laughs> not taking care of anyone's balls. All right, but sorry, that's the martini talking. That's, that's the level of humor that we've watched. I just wish that this system actually meant something because I think it's a cool mm -hmm. idea and I just wish in the show canon they gave a shit, you know? Yeah. I think the thing that bothered me about this scene, okay, well, first of all, it was the second time I tried to eat while watching Game of Thrones and then it went to like a maggot scene or a crab <laughs> scene. Such a niche and I was like, what the, like, what the fuck is my luck today? It was literally twice in one day that I was trying to watch this episode and I had to actually put my food down. Uh, but in any case... Otto says something along the lines of, I remember how sad I was when my wife died. That really sucked for me. Uh, but you have to remarry as king, because uh, that's your duty as king, and I don't envy you. And I don't believe him. I fully believe that Otto envies Viserys. I believe that Otto would take this hardship on every day of the week. Interesting. I think I agree with you there. It is a question I put in my notes. Um, I love the way this scene is framed because Otto is, to his credit, a very astute politician. He is about to win this war with Corliss for the marriage of the king without ever once mentioning it out loud. Like he is good at what he does, and his astute politicianness is is well earned, I think. Because when the marriage of Lena is brought up, this is Viserys getting Otto's opinion. The maester, who's also on the small council, so I'll forgive it, decides that he's also part of this conversation, right? And lists for the second of what's going to be three times all of the qualities yeah. that all of the qualities that make it a good idea. They really want to cement in our brains that Viserys really only has one choice, and it's this one. Every other choice is bad. This one's mm. obviously the best one. And Otto, who does not want this choice, he wants it to be Alicent. We know he wants it to be Alicent. He doesn't immediately go on the defensive. He's not stupid. He doesn't go... He doesn't go, oh, it's a terrible idea. It's like, why would you reward Corliss for his insolence, all this and all that? He goes, you know what? The grand He's like, and he says, like, I'll just outplay this, right? But what he says out loud is, you know what? Grandmaster's making good points. Lena would be a good match. Like, he doesn't over-endorse it, but he endorses it enough that he can still have his own plan and, and kind of throw Viserys yeah. off the scent. But again... He's perfectly mixing giving actual good advice with his political play because that's what he's doing. He doesn't tell Viserys not to marry Lena. In fact, he like really, really passively endorses it. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Like he's very smart. He's very astute. I think this scene did so much for Otto's character where he's found the perfect balance once again of his role as Hand of the King and his personal ambition. And he's going to win this round. So it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to fight with the guy when he wins the battle. That his methods weren't good because I thought this was perfect from him. Very well played by Otto. Yeah, I I just don't want to give him any credit. I don't think he was <laughs> genuine in this scene. So I don't know if he's genuinely loved his wife though, because there's two options. Either he actually did, and um, he is telling the truth about that, and he is genuinely just trying to like put a branch out to Viserys. I believe that. This is Tywin Lannister. Like in the lore of Game of Thrones, yeah. Tywin Lannister really, really loved his wife and was a cool guy before that. It was like the one thing that he liked. And the second his wife died, he became the Tywin Lannister we know. Oh, yeah. 
Right. And before that, he was still Tywin Lannister. Like, he, there were some reigns in Castamere that were happening while Joanna was a thing. You know what I mean? Some reigns. There were some reigns, and they were happening in Castamere, all that stuff. Right. But he kind of hardened and became colder and more distant and more like the Tywin, right? So I would believe it of Otto that he really did love his wife. And how we got to the Otto we have now, the really shrewd politician who's only fighting for upward mobility in his family, is partly because he's got nothing left. So his wife is dead. He's a second son. Like, this is his only play to advance his family in this way. So he's going to do it. Right. I also believe he didn't love his wife at all. It was like a random match made. They only had Alicent and Gwaine as a kid. And two yeah. in, in the show canon, we've met Alicent and we've met Gwaine. Right. Right. And so, like, he, he wasn't pumping him out. You know what I mean? It was like... But in this time, like having 12, 11 kids, eight, 10, like, like the amount of kids you have in yeah. this time is high. It's not low. Yeah. And so two is not a lot in this time. Right. And so like, but we don't actually know. Did she live in King's Landing? Did she stay in Old Town? What was the deal? You know, so I, I could, I could go either way. I'm, I'm tending to believe the, your opinion, but if I find out, if I found out that Otto really genuinely loved his wife, I would also completely believe it. Like I wouldn't be thrown off by that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards the least favorable interpretation at all times. That's fair. So that's your official position <laughs> on Otto, is we're gonna yeah. lean least favorable at all times, unless proven directly otherwise. If there's direct proof, I will always you know I, I'm a lawyer. I if you show me the proof, I will believe you, because that's a logical thing to do. Alright, and we have not been shown the proof that Otto loved his wife. I will agree with you there. Therefore he must not have. That's fair. Um <laughs> <laughs> um okay where are we moving next oh my goodness okay viserys let's and Lena. yeah we're gonna move to viserys targaryen um also i in my notes you'll notice a theme if you're listening to this i started every scene with Vizzy t and whoever he's talking to so <laughs> this is gonna get a little bit tired of me introducing the scenes this way um viserys first of his name targaryen and Lena valarion are going for a stroll in the garden and this would be super cute and romantic if everything about this situation was different, but it is not. So this is <laughs> so weird. And like the show wants us to think it's weird and we do think it's weird and they stage it in a way that's weird. And Rhaenys thinks it's weird and Viserys thinks it's weird and Lena thinks it's weird. So everybody is on the same page that this is really weird, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed that even the show was like, we do the 12 year old marriages in this world, but no one really loves it. Like they do it for all yeah. these reasons that are defensible. We do it for all these reasons that will list that are defensible: the Valerian bloodline, the you know the heirs that need to happen, the cementing of the legacy, and all the rest. We do it for all these reasons that everyone agrees are fine. But on the face of it, we do agree that this really sucks, and we wish we didn't have to do this. Yeah. Although, okay, so yeah, the whole scene is kind of gross, especially when she starts very obviously parroting what Corliss wants her to say that is the fucking worst it's so funny i will tell you i almost like jumped off my it is gross and disgusting obviously but like you just imagine the scene where Corliss was getting her to memorize it like it could have played like a sitcom scene for sure i thought that was so funny that was so obviously what Corliss and viserys sees right through it and viserys yeah i i it is awful but in, in a show that does not have a lot of comedy, when she just pauses and just... They're having, like, a reasonable conversation about dragons, and then she just stops in the middle of the garden to be like, now's my time. 
and just goes yeah. into like the Corliss Valerian manifesto on on the things I will do for you. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's like when you're trying to network and you make just enough small talk that you think it's appropriate to now ask for a favor. <laughs> That's right. Basically so I've done the, the minimum word count of dragon talk has been reached. I will yeah. now go for the marriage. But I did, I did love one thing about this scene. Absolutely, it's my favorite. Is, is so she's supposed to be like twelve. She's a baby. She is twelve she's put in, in the this, show. Yeah. She's, so then she's put in this situation where she's like, maybe you will marry your the king, your like cousin once removed. Who knows? It's weird. Let's not hung, let's not get hung up on the incest. We're gonna have a bad time. Either a cousin or an uncle, we're not sure, but it's probably not cool. Also, you're 12. Uh, maybe just talk to him. And she uses the opportunity to squeeze him for information about Vagar's location. Yeah, she's a she is a she's a <laughs> dragon rider without a dragon, and she is a. <laughs> And like I live in a place with some crazy horse ladies. There are horses where I live. Equestrian is a big deal, and I've met a fair few crazy horse people. She's a crazy dragon lady. It is awesome. Yeah, but she she like she gets what she wants from him, and she's like, ah, yes, thank you. I know know where to look, and she's like, but if we married, this is how it would go. She literally get gets what she wants and then just pivots. It's incredible. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was so funny. I wrote that in my notes too. Um, but we agreed this is weird and gross, but the garden is beautiful. Yes. Cool. We're moving on. Rhaenyra and Rhaenys. While this is happening in the kind of, um, oh, what's it called? Mezzanine. It's called Parapets? A, no, it's not a parapet. No, no, because a mezzanine is, in, this is a canopy. Balcony? It's a balcony, a canopy, or a mezzanine. Let's dive deep at gmail.com. Is this a balcony, a canopy, or a mezzanine? I think a mezzanine kind of needs to be inside. Mm. I don't think you have an outdoor mezzanine. Anyways, who the fuck cares? You're just tuning out of this podcast, I can tell. Okay. Uh, Rainice and Rainier are on this structure, this unnamed structure outdoors. Um, that may or may not be a canopy, a balcony, or a mezzanine. And they are watching this walk and talk happen. And they have a fascinating conversation that on multiple levels was extremely satisfying. There's a good bunch of dynamics. You have Rhaenys, the spurned, could have been queen, who has now hardened the worldview about a woman's place and has committed herself to not trying to change that place anymore and just live as best as she can within it. And that means taking her daughter and finding her the best possible life for her. And that is with the king. That's a very fascinating perspective to have. You have Rhaenyra, who is younger and, you know, you know, in real life, younger, more liberal, more hip with the, the politics. And we're going to change the world. And I'm young and I got things to do and places to be and people mm -hmm. to see. Right. And she's like, yo, motherfucking Rhaenys, shut the fuck up. I'm going to break the wheel. I'm going to change the world. I got a big ass <laughs> dragon. Eat shit, Rhaenys. And, and like Rhaenys has to take this from the princess. But Rhaenyra has been named heir and people have bowed to her and she's not wrong. And I and Rhaenyra makes a good point. Like they may have rejected a woman on the throne, but how do we know it wasn't just they rejected you? Like, how do we know they actually wouldn't mind a woman on the throne and just actually wanted Viserys more? Like, how do we know that? We don't know that. And part of that is we kind of do know that. And she's being, like, obviously, um, well, what's the word I'm looking Deuce. for? Obtuse, yeah. But I kind of get it. Like, she needs to defend her own position. The only way to defend her own position and make sure she's in charge is to fiercely defend it with all her might at all times. 
to everyone. And her doing that to Rhaenys, I thought was a great move to be like, look, I don't care what you think. I am actually the heir. I was named the heir. I'm going to be in charge. And I don't actually care whether you, if you were the queen, I wouldn't be in charge right now. But you weren't the queen. That's too bad for you. And I'm going to be in charge and I'm going to change the world order. And it's going to be awesome. I think is the only reasonable position for her to have when anyone ever mentions it forever till the end of time. You need to just hammer it into people's heads. That there is no way of the world. The way of the world is what the king says. And what the king said is I'm in charge. And that's, I think that's awesome. This, this conversation was amazing. I really liked it, but it also just, it made me sad a little bit because like, that's her aunt, right? Yeah, like, there's the trope of like two like women cousin. who could support each other, right? Like you imagine this goes better for Rhaenyra if Rhaenys goes like, yep, I'm all in on Rhaenyra. I want to see a woman on the throne. I will do everything I can at all times to make this happen this situation goes better, but that's not what she chooses not, to do. But not even like the girl boss, sorry, gaslight gatekeep girl boss of it all. Like if they just like, like I'd wanted Rainey's to do to Viserys earlier. Like if they just spoke more honestly with each other and Rainey's was like, this is the difficulty you're going to face. As soon as your father has a son, they're going to want him. If you want them to take the, you seriously, you need to think about this. But instead, it's framed in this very confrontational way. And I understand that because, like, Rainier is the princess, Rainier is the queen who never was. They kind of start off the conversation by insulting each other and getting combative. So it makes sense that it turned out the way it did. I just really wish that, like, they would have actually just spoken to each other. Yeah, I, I agree. I would have liked it if they had... But where's the drama in that? Like, I'm a sucker for the television of it all. Yeah. And, like, this this just crackled. Like, Rhaenys is, is spitting pure venom and has, like, earned her earned this spot in her life and this opinion. Like, it's so well-earned how she feels about this. And yet she just has to sit there and take this shit from a 15-year-old. And this is, like... I think it's partially, like, how it works in real life, too. Where it's like, one day I will be the older person with pretty concrete political views that are, you know, more unchangeable than they were when I was younger, right? <laughs> and like, I'll have like this fucking teenage kid yelling at me about whatever the latest, you know? Like, I, I kind of get it from that point of view. Yeah. And so I think, I think this scene was electric. I really loved it. Oh, it was great. All right, we're moving on again. This conversation with Viserys and Alicent, I think, is more problematic. So I am changeable in my opinion on Viserys and Allison. This time we are talking about marriage. And now we're getting into that gray area. I think the first conversation was innocent of the gray area. Uh, other than the gray area. Oh, the only awful thing being Otto putting Allison up to this. But once you kind of got into the room, that was fine, in my opinion. Now we're here, though. And now we're getting into the, the gray shit, the weird shit that's happening. Uh, Viserys and Allison talk about marriage about how the king is going to need to remarry and how that person like Lord Corliss has proposed uh, uh, Lena. Alicent kind of, she does the auto thing and she goes uh, for the like, nah, that seems like a good option. You know, that would, that would, uh, marrying Lena would be uh, satisfying and comforting for the subject. So she's taking the auto line of like, not endorsing it, but not, it's obviously a good idea. So she doesn't want to seem like she's saying anything yeah. bad about the good idea. Um, well, the one thing that fascinated me about this scene is that, and I don't think there is an answer. I think if if someone claims to have a concrete answer, they're not understanding what the show wants you to think and not understanding what makes Game of Thrones so fun to watch, is I can't tell 100%. I can get 99% of the way there, but I have no conclusive proof one way or the other how far Alicent is 
with this plan? Like, has Otto... Because later in the episode, we're going to see Otto say, like, go to the king tonight. Like, or are you going to go to the king tonight? And she'll say, if you wish it. You know what I mean? It's, per- it's, it's like, it's on the fence. It's purposely vague, so you can't tell. I do not know what the mission Allison has been given is and how much she's cottoning on herself, how much she's pretending to know or not know, how much has been told to her by Otto. Has Otto just told her, like, keep going to see the king, just keep going to see the king, just keep seeing the king, you're doing great. And she has clued in because she's smart and it's obvious that this is a marriage play. Or has Otto gone and fully told her, like, yo, I'm trying to usurp this shit from Lena. You gotta, you gotta double down and get the fuck in there and marry the king. Right. And I, I want to give Allison the agency for figuring it out, but I'm not sure how much she has figured it out. I'm not sure how much also Otto has told her. I'm not sure if this is occurring to her in the moment. So this is fascinating for me that uh, where is Allison in this conversation and what are her motives? Because I could just endlessly do this. And this is why it's fun, because if Otto told her to get in there and marry the king, she's going to have an overwhelming sense of duty to her father to accomplish that goal. But she does not want to do that. So she's like inherently going to want to do what she can to avoid that being the outcome which you would think would make her double down on Lena as a good option and be like, yeah, Lena, Lena, pick Lena. You got to get in there with Lena. That all sounds good to me. So I, the dynamics here are fascinating because I cannot pin down concretely 100% where Alicent exactly is in her own mind about it, which I think makes this way better than if I knew. Okay. I think I know where she's at, but I could be wrong. And it's just a theory. I think she 100% knows what Otto wants. She absolutely knows what the end goal is, but she hates it. That's fair. That's the most reasonable take, I think. I think that's the most obvious, like, pick, is that she is aware of the marriage, whether by herself or from Otto, whether she's figured out or been told, she's aware of that. And she doesn't want to do it. Because this is the one where she's picking her nails as well. Yeah, and you can see, like, it's making her nervous, but you can see, like... When Viserys starts talking about potentially taking a wife and she knows that he's been talking to Lena or like talking to the Valerians about Lena, hopefully not talking that much to Lena because she's 12. Um, and she's like, but you should really want to be with someone that you're comfortable with. Which if you know that the man that you're talking to is talking to a 12 year old child, like that's a pretty pointed thing to say. And then she, like, gets him the present. She knows... She she fixes the dragon. That was adorable as hell. I was moved by that. Of course Viserys found that moving. I was moved by that. It's very sweet. It's very thoughtful. It's not something that the stonemasons wouldn't have done for free if he just brought them the broken dragon. So maybe I'm taking a little less meaning from it. I think she knows exactly what Otto wants. I just think she doesn't like it. Like, if you look, if you watch at the end of the scene, Otto storms in. He's like, there's an emergency. And he, like, storms in. And Allison turns to look at him. And you can feel that glare. She's like, I'm fucking here. Isn't this what you wanted? And it's quite piercing. So I liked that. Sure. Wonderful. All right. We are moving on. We got the small council. Uh, Otto interrupted the last scene. And Anasi is called an emergency small council meeting. Why on earth would he have done that? Turns out Damon's messing some shit up, which is awesome. We love Damon for doing it. He's coming in hot. Damon has snuck in. I don't know how, like, he would have had to fly Caraxes in here to accomplish this. And you think a giant dragon being, he must have, like, did he fly Caraxes 
really far away and then walk who anyways the, the maybe city watch maybe the city watch did it yeah who knows anyways it's fun to like figure out how damon would have done this because we know he has like the secret passages and stuff because he was eavesdropping in the last episode anyways yeah. it's we just we have to just believe damon's a super sleuth when, when i think when you start thinking about how this is possible it's kind of breaks down a little bit but hey um damon steals an egg and this is a problem. And it's a problem for a few reasons. Why is he still in the egg? Well, uh, apparently he is getting married to a... Uh, how, who Otto is going to describe as a common whore. <laughs> bad for the realm. He already has a wife. Very bad. He should not be marrying another person. Um, this person is already with child. Not ideal. And he needs an egg to be in that cradle with the traditions of his house. He's doing this, Rachel, he's doing this for tradition. He's not doing this as a spurned younger brother, right? He's not doing it at all. And one of the things we forgot to talk about with Rhaenyra in the Sept scene was that Rhaenyra knows that she was picked, not because of her own qualities, but to spurn Damon, which is an interesting thing for her to kind of grapple with, right? But it's fun to also feel it from Damon's point of view where he knows he was spurned because he was an asshole and not because of Rhaenyra's qualities. And so he's like, well, motherfucker, I'm a double down. Like, why? Like, if you're going to get rid of me for being an asshole, I'm just going to be more of an asshole. And so um, I liked a lot about this. I liked that Damon, I like that Damon did it for his character. Like, that makes sense. I like how it kind of infantilizes him a little bit. Like, at the end of the day, he's just a younger brother who wants the love and support of his big brother and is just trying... And all of this is a lie to get his attention. Like, that's a fun reveal later in the episode. Um, he, he went for the most inflammatory route possible because it worked exactly how he... It wasn't taking the egg. Yeah. Like, Viserys doesn't... Viserys was about to do absolutely nothing, which is in Viserys' character. He's about to be like, what do I do? Send him to the wall, put his head on a spike? Let's just do nothing. Like, he wasn't going to give a shit. And then it was because he took Balon's egg that sent Viserys yeah. off the wall, which is exactly what Damon would have been trying to do. So well, well played from Damon. Yeah, I mean, okay. First of all, this scene makes me laugh because apparently Damon in Valerian is Diamond. Diamond, yeah, I heard that. I saw Diamond. That so I don't know if you noticed, but like almost every time I wrote Damon after that in my notes, I just wrote Diamond <laughs> instead. That stuck with me. Uh, that was really funny. Um, but I just like that both Viserys and Rhaenyra have very quickly an understanding of what of what's happened. Viserys knows that Damon is just trying to piss him off, so he's just like, fine, fine, just let him. He's having a tantrum. Leave it. But then Rhaenyra knows immediately which egg. She knows to ask which egg he took. And it's only then they establish that it's a deeply personal thing that Damon's done uh, that Viserys wants to actually respond. Uh, so I thought it was really interesting here how both of them had a very unique understanding of Damon and his motives. But then also I lost my temper at fucking Otto because it was the one time <laughs> that Viserys wanted to do something. I was like, I will get on a ship. I will go to... to Oh God, it's it's failing it's right Dragon now. Like Dragon's End, Dragonstone. I will go to Dragonstone right now, and I will get that egg back. And just wait five minutes. I'll be right back. And Otto's like, I can't allow you to do that. I'm like, Are you the fucking king, Otto? Do you allow anyone to do anything? Yeah, it's Come interesting, on. isn't it? Yeah, I, I just, I just love because I really thought I hated Otto coming into this podcast. <laughs> Jesus, you are you are so much more inflammatory than me. I it's agree like with every you. Every 
time. Every time he's on the screen, there's something we're like, ah, Otto. Just, but it's just every time there's a productive solution, he does like the exact opposite thing. Like if Viserys and Damon being at odds is a real problem for you, well then the number one thing you want to do is get those two brothers in a room. No, 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 you're misunderstanding, Rachel. See, Otto is doing this. Otto is doing this. This is, this is obvious. Like, this is great because this is so within Otto's character. Otto knows, because Viserys just said it, that if they are in a room together and they can talk it out, they will talk it out. They will make up. Damon's going to get a seat on the council or something. And then we're going to start again. It's like an endless cycle. Damon does something, gets in trouble, gets exiled, comes back. Viserys makes up. He gets, and Otto is directly threatened every single time Damon and Viserys make up. Like the the longer Damon and Viserys spend together, the more uh, in danger Otto Hightower is, and he's out for himself in this scene. And so he needs to go and talk to Damon. If Viserys talks to Damon, they'll figure some kind of solution out, right? If he goes and talks to Damon as inflammatory as possible, he's just going to piss Damon off and they're going to stay apart, which is obviously what he wants. I think this makes perfect sense for Otto. And it's interesting that he has to, like, he needs it so bad that he's willing. This is where he was telling on himself earlier. He's like, he's like, I will not allow this. And it's like, yeah, mate, like I wrote in my notes too. You're not in charge. Like the king can kind of just go wherever he wants. Right. And the fact that this is telling us so much about Viserys. First, that Viserys needs to be provoked into action. Although I think in this time it's a little fair because he knew Damon was trying to get a rise out of him and his solution was to not give him the rise, which I think is a fair way to not act. But Viserys just immediately backs down once Otto is in charge. Like once Otto is in charge and says, I will not allow it, Viserys doesn't go, it's not about what you're going to allow. Like I will allow it and I'm going. He he immediately goes, ah, fair enough. If you will not allow it, I will not go. And it's like, oh, dude, you're the fucking king. Like you can just kick his ass. Like get out of there. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, and, like, I know it's consistent with Otto's character. It's just so often it's just completely counterproductive, and that's what pisses me off about it. I know it's consistent with what he should do. I just still hate it. All right, we're about to get to Dragonstone, which is a treat. It's an absolute joy and a pleasure to watch. The whole 20-minute sequence at Dragonstone is incredible. Mm-hmm. But first, we get Otto Hightower. Fucking putting on the armor. Oh my god. This was so fucking funny. Like, like, like Thaden at Helm's Deep. <laughs> yeah, he is there. He is cosplaying as a knight. He is gonna go. He's kind of like, it's interesting. He's kind of like Viserys. Like, he kind of needs, he's gonna go stand up to Damon. He needs every part, so much. And I, I agree with this in real life too. Symbolism is very important. Mm-hmm. Right. The symbols are very important. We're both Canadian. And this is a political view I have about where the prime minister lives. Every year in Canadian politics, we talk about which political party is going to take the hit of, of fixing. For those of you who aren't aware of Canadian politics, the, where the prime minister lives, like our version of the White House um, is broken and decrepit and ugly and terrible and has rats and it's infested and you can't live there. The prime minister has to live somewhere that is not the official residence of the prime minister of Canada. Because this place is breaking and no political party wants to spend the $40 million or whatever to fix the house because it will feel extravagant. 
My opinion is that symbolism is important. This is why the president of the United States lives in the White House and it's iconic. And there's huge gardens and there's helicopters and there's like machine guns and shit, right? It's because it is important to project your power all the time. Like it's important to project that. And it is like, it is important that your head of state lives in a nice place. Like I understand, I understand why people build these giant palaces with these huge water fountains and these luxurious guest suites and these huge tournament halls and these huge banquet areas like you are projecting your power with these things and so otto needs to project as much of his power as possible he's got to have the high tower garb he's got to have armor so much of this is like him muscling up to to talk to damon in this way but i any scene where somebody is collecting everything they need to project that power i find it super relatable because i think that's really important it's the same in real life like you kind of got to dress up for the part you know what i mean like if you walk in somewhere and there's a formal attire like i like going out for dinner in places with a dress code maybe that's a hot topic but it's like i just like when everyone looks nice you know what i mean and there's a certain thing that does to you when you get to take the time to like get nice clothes and get dressed up and feel good and look good and you're projecting something of yourself onto the situation that changes the dynamic quite a bit right instead of going to mcdonald's in your pajamas that, like it's a different vibe and so as funny as this is for otto i actually loved it as like a commentary on projecting power because i totally buy into this in like a real life sense that you you have to project this kind of power if you want to keep this kind of power. He's got to put the garb on. He's got to put the armor on. He's got to project as much of his power as he can. And the only way for he there's not a lot of ways for him to do it. He doesn't have a dragon, for instance, but he has this and it looks kind of good. And it's very funny for him to cosplay being a knight. Yeah. I, I'm just going to throw more auto shit talking uh, <laughs> in, into this conversation. Let's do it. Um, well, Allison is the one that's helping Sorry, me. Sorry, I have forgotten about Allison armor. here. I'm an asshole. No, you're fine because I'm going to bring it up and I will defend her in this scene. But she is very clearly picking at the bases of her nails and they show you finally a full shot of what she's done. And basically like the cuticles of all of her nails are just like straight up fucked. Like she's very, very anxious about something. And he grabs her hands and he says... You are one of the most comely girls in the castle. Why must you deface yourself in this way? And all I can hear when he asks that question is, why are you anxious, even though I have only tasked you with seducing the king? And it's just like, you know exactly what's making her worry, Otto. Why are you making it worse by making her feel like she shouldn't feel this way? There is something about a father telling his daughter that they're the most comely girl at court. That just gi gives me the ick. I think part Gross. of it's the word comely. Like that's so far out of our vernacular now that it just feels weird. Whereas at the time, right? Like now, I, like I wouldn't find it weird for a dad to be telling his daughter how beautiful they are. Like, you know what I mean? Like I actually, when yeah. I went, when I went to prom with my girlfriend at the time and she did the whole, they lived in a nice big house and they had like the Titanic stairs that she got to walk down. Uh, yes. And it was, she was, she's a really attractive person and it was really fucking hot. So I was so into that. Right. And but like she comes down, she like hugs her dad and he goes like, oh, you're so beautiful. Like, I think if you change up the words to like whatever your common words are using at the time, the sentiment is fine, but it's like the way he's doing it. And like, he's only doing it to be like, look, Allison, my fuck, I swear to God, look, Lena is 12 and you are older and hotter and you need to fuck the king. 
and so like can you please like it's that that's creepy it's the subtext that's creepy yeah, it's not the actual yeah. thing he's saying because i think if you translate the thing he's saying to modern times it's fine i think it's just yeah. like the the subtext of like i just i need to advance our family's position and i don't care about you as an individual person or my daughter i only care for you for what you can do to advance the family's line so i'm gonna need yeah. you to take one for the team and marry this like decrepit stupid man forever and ever and have a bunch of babies with him is that okay with you oh you're oh you're oh you're picking your nails because this makes you nervous whatever could it be wow what could you be nervous about all right we spent so much longer on the auto <laughs> than i thought we're going to dragonstone okay for those listening look we could talk about this scene for nine hours we might i don't want to pretend like we might not however just know that we will miss something there is something awesome about this scene that we will miss because there is so much awesome in it that you can't possibly hit everything that's awesome what i loved first is the night to day shot of like the sun rising shows how short of a distance this is it is really important for the audience to know and this is not going to dunk on the intro, but a functioning map intro is really helpful for this. It is important to know Dragonstone is next to King's Landing. This is an overnight ship ride. This is not a long distance. This is not a trek. This is not a journey. This is not difficult for people to get to Dragonstone. My guess is if it was on Dragonback and a dragon flew, we'll call it as fast as a car can drive. Like they wouldn't be as fast as planes or else you'd just fall off and die. We'll call it like 100 kilometers an hour, or like 80, 60 miles an hour is maybe a fair speed for a dragon. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk We're gonna talk like a half hour, hour long car ride from King's Landing to Dragonstone. Like this is not far. A drift mark also right next to Dragonstone. Like these are all very close. So all these locations yeah. are close together. And this is very important to know just for logistics um, in this world because we're going to see a lot of King's Landing. We're going to see a lot of Dragonstone. And this is so unlike the king going to Winterfell or like going north of the wall or even the distance between like the Reach and Casterly Rock or anything like that. Like those are all bigger distances. This is like whatever. This is, You could get an Uber from King's Landing. <laughs> yeah. You can get an affordable Uber from King's Landing uh, to Dragonstone. We land, we get an establishing shot of Dragonstone, which is nice. We don't need to see the whole thing. We just get the establishing shot. And then they land on this bridge. And I know that this is filmed in a volume. And I think that this is probably one of the only things they filmed in the volume. They understand the volume's limitations so perfectly. And this is one of the best things I've ever seen on television. Best looking things. Like, it is stunning how good this looks. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Like, it... That was one of the first things I noticed about how they shot this scene is I know it's kind of cliche, to have like one bridge and everything around it be fog. But they use it so effectively and it looks so good. It literally, it looks like they're in a different world. And it's like the the, the, the way the sun affects the clouds. It's almost like a pastel yeah. color palette. So it's like, wow. It's almost like this huge giant fight with dragons is happening in like a cotton candy land. Like it just looks yeah. like there's so many pastel colors and it's really, really beautiful. Yeah, I really, really liked it. All right. Well, Otto shows up with like 12 dudes and Damon shows up with like 12 dudes. And so this is a, like, I find it fun that they accidentally showed up with the exact same amount of people. Yeah. And so it looks like, it looks like a fair fight. We'll add the dragon later, but it looks like now it's a fair fight in terms of the amount of people who can have swords and kill each other. And then 
things get inflammatory really quick. Obviously, Otto was only here to inflame things and make things worse and not better. So that makes sense from Otto. Damon is never going to be nice to anyone ever. And he hates Otto in particular. So, of course, this is going to go wrong. Uh, him just going out with a hello, Otto. Like, there's no formality. It actually stuck out to me. Like, everyone else is sir this or knight this or, you know, king this or queen that. Like, there's like, uh, or lord this or whatever. None of that shit. Just hello, Otto, you fuckhead. <laughs> like, thanks for coming. <laughs> right? One of the yeah. things that's interesting is that Damon immediately just wondered, where is the king? Like, he is so shocked that this didn't work and that Viserys, like, all you could tell immediately, all he wanted was to talk to Viserys. And now that Viserys isn't here, he's kind of lost interest. He's like, I'll stick around and, like, yell at Otto about whatever, but I kind of wanted Viserys to show up. Yeah, it just, it felt like a cry for attention. It, it... That's what it is. It is a cry for attention. And literally, they show up with all the knights, and Damon's like, ah, "Attention!" Yeah. And then Viserys in the shop. He's like, "And and okay, this pissed me off when Otto said his grace would not lower himself." To me too. It's like he, he was going to would. He was on his knees. He was lowering. He he was. He was getting in the Uber. He was on his way. He was lowering himself himself into the Uber to get over here. And, and, and like Otto doesn't say, uh, just by the way, uh, he wouldn't lower himself, but also he might have, but I told him not to. So like, he just, uh, just like, fuck Otto. And then <laughs> Christian Cole decides to just further be a dick. Cause he's like, oh, maybe, you know, this guy who is something we want, who we should probably be like trying to like be diplomatic to, maybe I should just remind him that I knocked him down Hold one up. time. I think these are very no different. Reason. So Otto is just going in for the sake of going in. This Kristen Damon interaction is awesome for a few reasons. First, the Sir Crispin thing is so funny because Damon remembers Kristen Cole and Damon remembers being unseated by him. Like this is a me this happened like six or eight months ago or whatever in the show timeline, but Damon remembers, which is interesting because no one remembers. Like who else is gonna remember Kristen Cole, right? And his face and everything. But Damon knows exactly who he is right away, which I thought was cool. And then like Damon throws out, and we know Damon is a master at this kind of stuff. Like he is unmatched in like the shit talking game, but he kind of throws one out there just to test the waters. He's not coming in with his best material. He's just coming in with Sir Crispin. Which is like a pretty tame insult, all things considered, from Damon. Lazy. And then, and then, like, he's kind of playfully doing it. Like, hey, you remember me? Like, you beat me at the fight, and I almost beat you at the fight, and that was a fun fight. Like, he's almost, like, doing it with a, a half-reverence. Like, Otto sucks. I will shit-talk him. But you're kind of cool, so I'll only half-shit-talk you. And then, and then uh, Kristen's response be like, Sir Kristen, actually, does my prince remember when I knocked him off his horse? And Damon's like... Very good. Well done. Like, he's almost proud of him. Like, oh, we're equals in this. Like, yeah. we can both shit talk each other and it'll be fun and exciting. Like, I am here for this kind of talk. I fuck, like, get Otto out of here. Like, if we could just chat with Kristen for a bit, he'd have some fun. Yeah. I liked their little relationship here. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I, I just struggled because it seemed like all the men in this scene really wanted to start a fight. Um, I agree. I, I agree. I'm just exempting this Damon... Kristen thing because I think it was genuinely just like a a fun tip for like this is how the dudes in the world yeah. communicate because they can't be actual friends and they're on opposite sides but they like they have a shared bond of almost killing each other in a fight that was kind of fun Lord. and so they're trying to acknowledge that within the social situation that's happening 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it's a fantastic scene, and they all play really well off each other. I would just like the whole scene way better if Otto wasn't there. I... <laughs> you can have your opinion about Otto. That's fine. I Reese Fons acting as Otto milked this scene for everything it was worth. Not only was the dialogue great, like they gave him some real zingers. Like they gave him some real shit to chew on here, right? It's like this is a farce, a mummer's farce. You disgrace you and your family's name with every passing moment. You're you're a disgrace to your brother. You are betting and having children with. Like these rituals and Targaryen ceremonies are reserved for the true born children of royalty, not the sons fostered on common whores. And he's like Did getting write this all down. No, 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 I'm just making it up. All right. Like I'm just making that up as I go. But it's like that is what he's going with. And like Reese Fawns just milks every syllable for everything he can get out of it. And it is a masterclass in acting. It was so good. It okay, yeah. I so I'll take I'll reel it back a little bit. I think Greasy Fonz as Otto does a fantastic job in this scene. Would I think that Viserys and Damon probably would have sorted out their issues if Otto was Yeah, just it is hard because you kind of just wanted Viserys to come and like fix this. Like, I get you. You didn't so want Otto to come. So that's, and I'll just contextualize most of my complaints about Otto in the season, as generally as I can put it, is I find that he's in situations I don't want him in. And that pisses me off. Right. Like if anyone but Otto was there, this would have been better. But since Otto's yeah. there, it's as bad as it can be. That's fair. And that's about as general as I can be. So I will leave it at that. That's all good. Um, Damon cheats. I think this is unfair. Again, this is the second episode in a row where I'm dinging Damon here on uh, just express honor and rule grounds for these types of fights. Mm-hmm. If you're going to bring a dragon to a fight, it's fair play. You've got the dragon. You're going to win this fight. You have to bring it at the beginning. You can't decide you're going to go toe-to-toe, start losing, and then bring in the dragon as, like, a cheat code for victory. I wasn't I wasn't a fan of that from a sport. Again, I'm a sports person. Rules are rules. Once Damon realizes that he has no interest and that he's losing the argument, which he was. Otto was making some good points. Um, he was losing the argument. And once he starts losing, then he's going to bring the dragon. And it's, like, it's cool and it's fun. And much like Rhaenyra, we're kind of inherently invested in the shows if we want the badass dragon people to be badass dragon people with their dragons i am just again diving into the world of i want to know what the rules for these battles are and i think if you're going to use the dragon it's got to be up front you can't like it's not like a Yu-Gi-Oh trap card where once you've got your hit points you can like undo it it's like no 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 no, no. like dragons got to come out first like don't don't let the dragon be the only reason you win win on your own merit or you can choose to let the dragon help you win but this way of doing it was damon being a cheater I completely disagree. Okay. Well, what can you disagree with? He's cheating at the game. Damon's not cheating. Damon's losing the argument. Damon engages on fair grounds on purpose. He could have brought Caraxes whenever he wanted. As soon as he starts losing, then he's like, nah, dragon time as like a cheat code. But you say losing and you say losing the argument. He's losing. losing, But he he wasn't losing the fight. Sure. They had an equal amount of men. If they had fought it out, it probably would have been somewhere close to a tie. They were evenly matched. Does it matter if he was losing the argument or not? Because if they still disagreed, they were probably still going to come to blows. Yeah. So I, I, think, I mean, there is an alternative but also, route. But I also think it's just stupid to go to Dragonstone and go to 
Damon Targaryen, the Rogue Prince, and think, maybe Caraxes is busy that day. He's not busy. Yeah, He's right. You're, you're correct. My problem is not with Damon using his dragon. Of course I want to see. I want to see Caraxes eat Otto. That is what I want to happen in this scene. I want Caraxes to eat Otto and like split him in half. So that's fine. <laughs> right? My problem is just with the, I'm again, this is a pure sporting mechanics. It's an honor thing. If you engage on equal grounds, then you need to win or lose on equal grounds. If you want to use your fucking dragon, that's fine. You just got to be up front with the dragon. Like you can't only bring it in when you've decided you're losing and need to uh, pick me up. You got to bring the dragon in at the beginning. It adds tension to the scene, but from a sporting perspective, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, if war were like sports, I don't have a good analogy for that. I don't think war is like sports. I think Damon didn't want to actually have a fight, so he just reminded Otto that he had a dragon. That's fair. There, yeah, we can, like, let me take the opposite perspective. <laughs> this fight, as soon as the swords came out... Damon altruistically wanted there to not be any bloodshed and only brought his dragon out as a last resort to stop people from killing each other. That is the opinion mm -hmm. we'll go with here. Um, but yeah, yeah, Craxis comes out when they start insulting all the people that are going to die. Um, Otto says like his wife and unborn child are going to die. Um, Damon is like, happily, you would also die. So like, he almost seems like I'll take that trait, to be honest. <laughs> like, you can actually, if, if killing her means you're dead too, like, I think that's a huge win. I would take it. Yeah. Damon dislikes Otto for his own reasons, but also because he views Otto as actively giving bad advice to his brother, the king, and actively making him a worse monarch, which Damon also can't signify. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that's all fine. Um, then uh, Otto sees the dragon and makes the reasonable choice. Like, eh, can we sheath the steel? She's the fucking steel. Like, let's put the swords away. Uh, I don't want to do the dragon math here, but they got one, we got zero. It's about to lose. And then Rhaenyra, badass fucking Rhaenyra, comes through the clouds. What an amazing shot of the clouds. It's like, it's like, beautiful shot. It's like CGI cheating too, because it's like another couple thousand frames where you don't need to animate a dragon and it's very, very expensive, <laughs> right? And so, like, you get to cheat a little bit. And then uh, Cyrax comes up with Rhaenyra on it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. She's fucking awesome. And she comes to lay down the law to Damon. And her pitch is like, homie, what the fuck? Look, I am here. All of this that you're mad about, it's all just me. You're just mad at me. You were disinherited because you were a little shit and I was the only other option. We all acknowledge this. You stole the egg. You did your bit. You're here now. Good for you, uncle. Like, I love that she's like, you're trespassing in my house. That was fucking awesome. Right? Yeah. But Rhaenyra really puts on, like, the adult pants here. And is like, just kill me. Like, she really just puts it in those terms where it's like, I am not going anywhere. I am the heir. Viserys is not changing his mind. And I'm not going to let him change his mind. Like, now that I'm the heir, I kind of like being the heir. You know what I mean? You were disinherited. And that's too bad for you. You can go live in the Vale. You can go live somewhere else. Whatever. But you're going to have to kill me if you want this. So we're here. You can kill me. Just do it. And then this is yours. Like, it's fine. Right? And then Damon realizing, like, oh, well, I, I can't kill Rhaenyra. Just immediately gives up. Like, chucks the egg back yeah. like it's a football and just leaves. And just, like, pouts his way back into Dragonstone. So Rhaenyra, undisputed champion. One and though. Damon didn't even get a lick in. Just wiped the floor with him. I, I also, I liked that she kind of dressed him down in Valyrian. She kind of shit-talked him. She's like, you're in my house. You, like, this is mine. Why are you here? You're behaving like a child. 
this is all completely unreasonable. And then she says, I'm right here, kill me in common for everyone else to hear. Yeah, so that's she dress she dresses him down in private and then she issues the challenge in public. But not quite so, in private because Masaria understands Valerian. And so Rhaenyra in oh. recounting this, so if you rewatch the scene, it's just mm. Masaria, but Masaria knows Valerian. And so when you rewatch the scene, Rhaenyra talks about the plans, like, so you're getting married tomorrow and you're having a kid I hear, right? And Masaria knows that neither of those two things is true, mm. right? And she storms off in the middle of this argument after Rhaenyra says that, right? Like, so it's, it's not quite in private because Masaria does know Valerian and which, which is played out in the scene. Like once she understands what's happening in Valerian, she leaves. I also, I made a note in my notes that she didn't deserve all of this. She just wanted to get out of King's Landing. And, like, Damon seemed like a really good opportunity to do that. And then he ruined it. So I felt bad for Mazzari in the scene. All right. Uh, before we get to Mazzari, we'll get to her. Uh, the last note I have is just Rhaenyra. Just victory for Rhaenyra. Uh, that look to Otto, too. Right? Because when she gets off Cyrax... Otto's like, what are you doing here? Someone escort the princess. And then she's like, uh, be nice to my dragon. It will eat you. Uh, Otto, mm -hmm. fuck yourself. And Damon, we need to have a chat. Like, she's just all in. Like, she's in charge here. And then mm -hmm. as she gets the egg, like, no violence, no bloodshed. Just a complete... But it's such a definitive defeat of Damon. Like, no blows were exchanged. Like, even verbal ones. Like, she took no... There was no loss. Like, she ceded no ground. She just wiped the floor with Damon. Which is, like, Otto's... Mm -hmm. Like, Otto's, like... It's, I almost believe it is like like a fantasy. Like Otto would dream about this of like getting mm -hmm. one over on Damon in any conversation. Watching this punk ass fucking teenager with her stupid dragon come and just beat Damon the fuck. Like it's undisputed that Rhaenyra just wins this, and it's in Valyrian. He yeah. can't even understand what she did to win, but he she's just a winner, and she just gets the egg back, and then she just like throws it in his face and is like, "See you, idiot!" Like, oh, Rhaenyra's exit mm -hmm. and entrance to Otto was incredible. Oh, it's no, it's like it's complete girl boss, and I hate the word girl boss, but she also like gets off her dragon and says, "Don't move too quick, she'll eat you." So, actually, girl boss. All right, Damon. I wrote that this was like a walk of shame. Nobody in Dragonstone is going to like shame Damon in any way because I'm sure Caraxes will just eat them. But, mm -hmm. but did he just got dressed down by a 15 year old, <laughs> by his 15 year old niece in front of everyone? And it's a long walk back to the room where Mazari is. And I understand, like, my understanding is that everyone looked at it and went, like, what do we do? He just, Damon just got fucking, like, dressed yeah. down by this teenager. Like, how do we feel about this? Um, but he makes it into the room with Mazaria, and they start having a conversation. Surprise! <laughs> Mazaria, and, like, we've rewatched this, so we've known the whole time. But in the first watch, this is when you find out Mazaria had no idea this was happening, had only ever hitched onto Damon as a way to be slightly more safe and secure than her other position in King's Landing. And is making some good points about like, yo, motherfucker, you can afford to fuck around like this, you idiot. They're just going to kill me. Viserys doesn't care about me. Rhaenyra doesn't care about me. Otto doesn't care about me. All the dragons will definitely eat me. That's all good. Like, she's making some good points here. She got done dirty mm -hmm. by Damon here. I also think, okay, maybe this is just like the medievalist in me. I think she's speaking to him rather boldly for someone whose like entire livelihood 
depends on him. Maybe I don't quite understand their relationship, but it seems like she's like she needs him for everything. So even if I were angry, I don't know if I would go and be like, "You're the fucking worst, and I hate you, and I don't need you." Because like you might need him a little bit, or else how are you gonna? Even yeah, we we don't know where she's going. Like, and all we don't even know really where she came from. All we know is that she was in the brothel with him in episode one. And was kind of in charge of it, but not really. Like, she could go find... Like, one of the things she says is that I can go find one with silver hair. So mm -hmm. she has, like, some authority over which people in the brothel are sleeping with Damon. But it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like she owns the brothel or anything. Like, it doesn't seem like she... She just might be the... Like, you know, like a, a shift manager at the brothel in King's Landing, right? Like, <laughs> maybe that's her job. So you're right. We don't really know truly the situation she came from. We just have to believe that what she said... And then we have no idea where she could possibly go if she doesn't have Damon. So yeah, you're right. This is pretty risky for her. Super risky. And then I am just going to acknowledge the accent is really painful in this scene. I don't know why they did that. It makes it harder that, to care. Because like as as she was saying all that shit in the accent, I was like, it's, I don't give it, a shit. Like, it's, it's hard. It's like they can kind of kill you, I guess. Like, I don't. It's fine. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it. it's interesting because you think... The writing would carry it through because it's really good, but it just doesn't. The accent sucks. They did Sonoya Mizuno yeah. so dirty. I hope that's her name. I, I think it's Sonoya Mizuno. I do not know, so you'll have to let me know. Sonoya Mizuno. I, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all. That's right. Cool. Yeah, it just felt like it, either it was the accent or the directing. I think it's I'm the accent. The accent is. It just felt like the the pacing of her words and the um, the cadence. It was all. It's like one long word. It's like a. It's like if you could speak a. a what's it called? A run-on yeah. sentence. <laughs> yeah, you but your brother was saying a nice bike, but yeah. and it's like I. I don't understand. Yeah, she's doing the worst accent. There's an accent in Black Sails that is very similar, and it's so good mm -hmm. that like mm -hmm. having watched that, I'm like, oh, I know what this accent can be when someone who doesn't have the accent does it, and it's good. Um, but this is very bad. I hate it. Okay, we're moving on. Damon and uh, what's-her-face, Mazaria, have some shit to sort out. And hopefully the first thing they choose to sort out is her accent. Because holy smokes, it's bad. You have to wonder how bad it was when she arrived in King's Landing. Because surely it's assimilated Ooh. a little bit. Well, it's okay. the prequel, I mean. Vizzy T and Lionel. <laughs> not much to talk about here. And I prefer not to, just so we can end this podcast in a reasonable time. Viserys goes to Lionel. This scene does a few things for us. Lionel... It actually shows that Viserys cares about his people's opinions. He's not going to, like, just hear Otto and do that thing. He's actually going to check in with... He's going to give each counselor an equal opportunity to tell them their opinion. Another great instinct from Viserys. He ends up making the wrong choice, but the instinct was there. Good instinct. Lionel is a loyal person. He's going to give good advice, and it helps that this is the obvious choice. Um, but and, he, and just for the audience, he is going to recount to us for the third and final time... Lena is the best choice for all of these reasons, and he should pick her. And the only reason that he should not, and this is again for the audience, is that she's 12. Uh, she will mature, which gross in our context. In their context, even within Viserys' context, he did marry Emma when she was 11. So for Viserys, this shouldn't be that weird. Now, I understand marrying an 11-year-old as a 15-year-old feels better than marrying a 12 year old as a 40 year old <laughs> but this guy has already already married an 11 year old and so you'd think his compunction about not having to bed someone until they were 14 
would be a little yeah. bit like, oh, I've already done that before. Like, I do kind of wonder why Viserys finds it weird. And I get that he finds it weird because he's older, right? Like, I've been a teenager. When I was a teenager in high school, uh, we all slept with each other a lot when we were teenagers. Now, as adults, none of us sleep with teenagers anymore because that's very bad and illegal and gross and disgusting. So, like, I think it's just a getting older adds that perspective. However, mm. just for Viserys in this time, it's I think he just wants Alicent and is looking for the reasons out. I don't think he actually cares that she's 12 because he has no. already married an 11 year old. Yeah. I this scene just solidified for me that I really really like Lionel. He's one of the best boys in this show. He's probably one of the like in terms of their integrity, I would say one of the the best male characters when you in the show. contrast him with otto in these first two episodes we're not getting as much time with lionel but he strikes you as a person who's giving his honest unencumbered opinion within his role yes he he and and maybe you see it in the future maybe you don't but you get the impression that he would tell you what he thinks is best regardless of how it plays against his own interests so i really like lionel and I'll probably like him going forward. <laughs> you're doing <laughs> such a, you're doing such a good job with the spoilers, Rachel. No one is <laughs> I probably no one's listening to this and seeing through you. You've got it on lock. No one knows. No one knows that you're about to really like Lionel. I, I'm actively pouring. If you're listening to this, I'm actively pouring more wine right now. I'm I'm being as convincing as Allison when she's maybe she maybe we'll to... love Lionel. Maybe we won't like Lionel. Maybe he's terrible. Maybe we'll hate him. Maybe he's garbage. But he's probably not, but maybe he is. All right. We're moving on. Uh, surprise, Lionel dies off screen and is never in the show again. It's just in between episodes, he falls over, hits his head, bonk, it's over. Um, we're back in the small council. Viserys has made a decision. And Rachel, he skips over number one draft pick, Lena Valerian. <laughs> To go with the undrafted 19th rounder out of Old Town, the daughter of the second son, Allison Hightower. Can you Holy imagine passing on fucking Connor McDavid and being like, it'll probably work out? Okay, I'm trying to, th yes, that's crazy. I'm trying to, like, no one who listens to this is going to watch hockey. It's like such a low overlap. Um, Imagine <laughs> passing on Michael Jordan for yes. like a random bench center from the phoenix suns you're like okay like whatever imagine passing on peyton manning for whoever the quarterback of the new york giants is right now or not the new york jets you know what i mean yeah so this is not ideal i will later defend allison as a choice in one of our other segments because it's not completely indefensible it's really only indefensible because there was such a clear favorite once you back off that clear favorite, Allison is genuinely in the number two rung of good options. Like she's not the worst. It's not like he had the best and the worst option possible. And he picked the worst one. This was a man who was not married to Lena Valerian and running the kingdom just fine in everyone's eyes. Right. Like so like his whole reign did not depend on Lena Valerian. So obvious pick Lena. He goes for Allison. Before I talk about how stupid this decision is and how poorly he went about making it, which I think are two different things. 
I do want to talk about the humanity a little bit because I think shows like this and period pieces and I just cover a lot of period pieces, Bridgerton being another one. And like, um, you just lose the humanity of it a little bit because the situations you are dealing with are so much more weird and dire than they are in our time now. Like people are getting married off at 11 and they're having kids at 13 and it's also normalized. You kind of lose the humanity of it. The The idea that a, just a man, not a king, but like a man going through grief who is struggling to get through each and every day the idea that he would pick someone, a companion, not for any specific lust or like sexual desire or any specific thing, because that's all neutral. Like any one of these people he can have sex with and have heirs with, like sex is not a passion thing in this time, right? Like just someone who can comfort him and who can fix his fucking marble dragons and who can have nice conversations with him and who can kind of like hold his hand and be kind. And like, there's such a human element to this decision that I don't want to start by writing it off as stupid because I think in these shows we always rage on how stupid the system is and how dumb all of these kind of societal pillars are that when people we we're we're about to dunk on Viserys Viserys for kind of moving away from one of those pillars but really we should be cheering from a humanity point of view for the more Alicent pick not how Alicent ended up in his in his chambers or whatever but just the idea that someone is picking someone closer to a reason for love, closer to a reason for companionship, for kindness, for these reasons, I think is a is a is a nicer thing to think about than the reasons for Lena, which are not nice at all, right? And so I just wanted to give him the credit that he is making the pick that as humans in 2023 we kind of like more, even if it comes at the cost of all the problems it sets in this show. So I'm about to shit on Viserys, but I just wanted to do that disclaimer that I think Alicent is a very human pick and he picks it for human reasons that aren't purely just Viserys is an idiot and makes bad decisions. Like, I think it's so much more complicated than that. Yeah, I think he makes, like, as a human, he makes the right choice. But then I, I, I think you just see again, like, the consequences of not being willing to address the consequences of a choice for Viserys. Because it's, like, Allison was there in the small council room, so it feels like he told Otto that she should be there. She's never usually there. Um, and Lena wasn't there. So it, it seems like it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment de- decision. He thought about this in advance. He didn't just, like, change his mind right at the end. So I just don't know why he didn't do more planning yeah so my problem with this decision is a public relations problem and this is where it gets back to viserys and who he is because he has a hard time making choices once he makes choices he has a hard. you could see he made a choice to go talk to damon he was immediately talked down to by Otto, right Mm -hmm. like the second that he makes a choice he's really easy to talk out of that choice right so the mm-hmm. fact that he made this choice, which I think for him is the right choice. Like, I am not surprised that he made this choice. This is, for him as a human, the only choice he can make, right? So that's fine, right? But the PR on this is awful, right? And we're going to talk about later, we're going to talk about Viserys' PR problem because there's a bigger PR problem that's going to come. But for this one here, he doesn't tell Rhaenyra right ahead of time he doesn't tell corliss ahead of time Mm -mm. right these are 
both terrible decisions. Like you need to talk to these people ahead of time. You know, they're going to be mad. At, at least they, they might still be as mad, but at least getting the chance to explain yourself is helpful. Yeah. Right. Cause like in this scene, when Corliss leaves, he's not that surprised. But when Rhaenyra leaves, like, Rhaenyra, where are you going? It's like, what the fuck do you mean where's she going? You just decided to marry her best friend. Her best friend just became her stepmother, you idiot. Like, of course she's mad about this. Yeah. In an episode where you were trying to reach out and connect with Rhaenyra, this is such an easy thing to talk about. And I think I think he list, He almost listened too much to his advisors because Otto and the, the Grand Maester, both in the Maggot scene, were like, oh, please don't listen to what Rhaenyra thinks. And I think it's a good instinct. Yeah. I don't think he needs to consult Rhaenyra on his pick. I don't think he should let Rhaenyra talk him out of marrying Alicent. Right. But you're the king and this is your daughter. And he's like, just go tell her. Like, it's the same problem in episode one. It wasn't the specific choice yeah. that happened to Emma or that situation. The math was mathed correctly. It was just that he's a coward about it. Like, he makes this choice and he knows it's going to piss these people off. And he doesn't have the stomach to tell these people individually. So he just tells them in the worst way possible and lets them go fucking be pissed off. And it's just such terrible kinging. Like, kingmanship? What do you call it? Monarching? Yeah. Like, it's awful. <laughs> It's just like, it's the lack of forethought. Like, you know what Corliss wants is a direct tie to the throne. So what do you do? Well, his daughter is 12. Is Lanor older than Lanor? Yeah, Lanor's older. Hey, but then you, you like marry Lanor to Viserys' firstborn daughter. You marry Lena to... to yeah, you uh, did the full shebang. Son. You line and you up. just say like... I can't wait another two years to start trying for an heir. The reason I'm getting married now is because the line is in question. I need someone who can, who is basically fertile now, which sounds gross, but that's basically what they're getting at. Um, so I would like maybe even still marry Rhaenyra to Laenor. That's still the heir. Mary Rhaenyra to Lenor, Mary Viserys's firstborn daughter or, or son to Lena, and then either way, Ovalarian gets on the throne, and and then you've just kind of you've circumnavigated the whole issue. But in, instead of doing that, he did nothing. Yeah, he's just ineffectual. Like he's doing his best. His his instincts again are in the right place. Like I'm not going to hold it against him for picking Allison. I understand picking the choice more for love than for duty. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, that is all good with me. I get it. But, like, yeah, it just does the worst possible thing after that. Now, here's what I picked up on. This is a thing I only picked up on this time that I did not pick up on any other time. It completely changed how I viewed this episode and pushed it up into the nines for me. This was the sole reason. I think it would have been, like, an 8-7, an 8-8, eight, eight, like, better than the season premiere for me, but not a 9. However, this I think it's hidden in there. I think it's snuck in there that... One of the reasons, not the only reason, I think companionship is one of them. One of the reasons he picks Alicent is specifically to spite Corliss. Because, yeah, see, you're looking at me like, oh, I hadn't thought about it from that angle. <laughs> Earlier in the episode, we got a lot of things like, like, this is the only thing Corliss wants. This is the only thing that'll satisfy him, right? This is the only whatever. We get so many of these little moments where Viserys is like, and then he tells Lionel, like, ever since I was picked to the Great Council, I've felt the gaze of Corlys Valerion leering at me from across the Blackwater or whatever he says. And I think, like he does, he was pushed just far enough where he's like, you know what? Fuck Corlys. I am the king. 
like what the fuck does this guy i am like because in that moment he was not ready to talk to another person the second Corlys had his outburst uh, viserys was like yeah and so what i'm your king like he was prepared for that the one public relations campaign he was prepared to embark on immediately after announcing alicent was to tell Corlys in no uncertain terms and i am the king and so i'll marry whoever i want and i get out of here you know what i mean like he almost prepped for it yeah so I, I've started to like find this like very other undercurrent to this where it's like Viserys actually does steal himself. And actually he might've picked Lena if Corlys had been less aggressive oh. about it. You know what I mean? Like if he had been less of an asshole, he might've picked, cause I think a lot of this is Viserys trying to be like, you know what? No, you're not the king. I'm the king and I can marry whoever I want. And you're not going to tell me who to marry. And I, I like that so much more as like an undertone to this episode that kind of sneaks in there and doesn't replace the reasons that are obvious as to why he picks Alicent, but does kind of supplement them nicely. And noticeably, um, Otto never actually suggests to Viserys that he marry Alicent. I have this in a nitpick, but yeah. Oh. Yeah, I have this in a nitpick because I do want to know how this works. I think we missed something. I think we missed the rest of the realm wanting in on this action. Like the the episode plays yeah. in as like this is an Alicent versus Ray or Lena thing, yeah. but surely every other lord in every other castle and across the realm is finding any daughter who may or may not be related to them, regardless of how old they are. And being like, would you like this daughter, King Viserys? Like you, you expect scrolls are just flying in on ravens on a minute by minute basis with like potential matches for Viserys. I think I wished we got a little bit more of that because I think that adds to why he would pick Allison. If you have a scene with him and a thousand scrolls reading through all the potential heirs and daughters, and he's like, I already got one I like, and we hang out all the time. Like, can I just pick that one? Yeah. Like that would have added like to those. it for me, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you, you know they've had a conversation though because Allison is there, you're right. At some point him and Otto have discussed yeah. this but I don't think Otto brought it up. I think he played the long game and Viserys went to him and was like, hey, can I, what about Allison? Because I think Otto's whole plan was to back Lena officially, but with as much reservation as he possibly could back Lena and then hope that, and then trust Allison to close the deal behind the scenes. Yeah. And then what I will say just before we move on, uh, Millie Alcox acting in this scene is phenomenal. You see, like, the full range of emotions on her face after Viserys announces that he'll marry Allison, And I was really uh, encaptured by that, so I wanted to call it out. There we go. Oh, Rachel, we have one scene left. We're at two hours and five minutes. I We would have been on time had I not, despite the alcohol, we would have been on time had I not <laughs> ran to about the intro. That's okay. There's one scene left. Corliss and Damon. And to be honest, and to be a little honest... This scene is the one that, like, there's lots of things that get enhanced on a rewatch. This one falls flat on a rewatch a little bit. The The reveal of Damon being the one sitting in the chair is so fucking cool the first time you see it. Once you know that Damon is going to be the one in the chair, this talk about, like, we're the second sons. We only get what we take for ourselves. Rah, 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 rah. It falls a little more flat. Like, you know where they're going. They're going to go to the step zones. They're going to break some shit up there. You know, Corliss yeah. is going rogue. It's called the Rogue Prince. Damon is going rogue. And it's exciting, but it's just all expositional setup for what's coming. It's not important within the scene itself. Like, it's an, like the only thing I actually really loved in the scene on its own merit um, was Damon being like, whoa, 
we both know my brother is a shitty king. However, I will talk about him as I wish. You will shut the fuck up, Corliss. You talk about him one more time, I will eat you with my dragon. Like, he, like, you know what I mean? Like, Damon being so fiercely protective of Viserys is such a fun through line for his character. And I'm glad that even Corliss doesn't get a pass. Like, he will defend his brother. He gets to be mad at his brother. No one else does. And I appreciate that consistency from him. Yeah, I, I noted that too. I love that from, from Damon. Um, I also really liked when, when Corlys said, like, our worth is not given, it must be made. I don't think that's only true of Second Sons. I think that's true of most people. Um, so Corlys was, like, very uh, eloquent in his speech, even if it does get kind of annoying on a rewatch. Yeah, it's just kind of like, it's just exposition to get us to what's coming, which is fine. It's yeah. interesting enough. And then, yeah, my last note was just that the crab eater is super gross. I literally, I was having a martini. That's the drink that has affected my ability to talk most of the podcast. I went to have one of the olives right when the crab eater scene came on. It was the second time. I do, like a, I do like a person that lives up to their name. You're like, oh, the crab eater or the crab feeder. Sorry, it's the crab feeder. He doesn't eat oh, crabs. Crab it's the crab feeder. But whatever. It's like, I wonder what he does. And then you find out, oh, he feeds people to crabs. And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> That's this thing. That makes perfect sense. It's like, I, I like it when a name, I like when I go to a shop and it's like shoe shop. It's like, what do they sell there? And you go in and the only thing they sell is shoes. And you're like, perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. This is awesome. No, shoes. Yeah, and the only other thing I have for this scene is I just like the line, it was never my brother's strongest trait, being king. Like, fucking eat shit, Viserys. <laughs> get, get dunked on, you fool. All right, are we ready to move on to whatever point is next in our seven-pointed whatever? We are. All right, greens versus blacks, the weekly debate show between a lawyer and a guy that works with kids sometimes. Um, this is how. This is what we're talking about this week. Uh, our debate is who should Viserys marry? Uh, Rachel is going to take the view of Lena, which is helped and aided by the fact that the show told us three times all the reasons why <laughs> he should marry Lena. So Rachel has all the material to come to court and win this trial. I am going to attempt to defend Alison Hightower as a good option for marriage against Lena Valerian. Do you want to go first or second, Rachel? I went first last time if you want to go first. Okay, I'm time. going first. Look, Lena is <laughs> hot shit. She's from a Valyrian house. She's got the blood. She can ride dragons, we think. Awesome. What we're really looking for in a companion and a partner is personally, we're looking for love. We're looking for someone I can communicate with, someone I relate to, someone who I can spend my days with. We don't have TV or internet or anything. We got to fucking talk to each other all the time. And I like doing that with Allison. Like, we're already doing that. Like, I can just marry Allison, and it is like doing what we're already doing, and I already enjoy that. So that's lovely. I am happy being with Allison. Isn't that what the realm wants? A happy king who has, is sober-mindedly able to make decisions? If every time I'm not in the small council meeting, I am as happy as I can possibly be because I like my wife, Surely that is a better situation than having to deal with all the potential drama that could come with an unhappy wife who's out searching for Vagar all the time. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Secondly, we need heirs, and we need them now. We need them stat. We need them pronto. Rachel actually helping me out with this one earlier in the pod. We gotta get some people whose butts can possibly sit on a throne. 
Lena's two years behind. Two years is a lot of time in a world where you can like just die from anything anytime. Cal Drogo, do we remember that in Game of Thrones? He got like a tiny cut and died a week later, okay? We are not messing around here, right? We got these new Kingsguard, but we don't know how good Kristen Cole is. Maybe the king gets killed. We got butts that need to sit on thrones and Allison is able to do that right now. Finally, and finally, we can dunk on this all we want. Lena's this and Lena's that. Allison's not some fucking nobody from like a shitty keep in the reach somewhere. She is Allison Hightower. The Hightowers are one of the most important houses in the realm. Building connections to the Hightowers is not nothing, right? Allying yourself to the Hightowers, they aren't even, they are in charge of the reach without even being in charge of the reach. They are more powerful than the Tyrells who like actually are in charge, but that's not even true. And they're also in charge of all the maesters to most of the, to some degree, they're in charge of all the maesters. The high towers are a house you want to be allied with. Otto is an old man. He can also die from anything, anytime. Keeping that connection with the high towers is not nothing. Is it as good as a Valerian or Valerian connection? Probably not. I'm not going to admit that it is. It's obvious that it's not. However, it's not like he's marrying some fucking shithole house from the middle of Dorne somewhere that makes no difference. The high towers are a top three powerful family, and you certainly want them on your side. And so marrying Alicent is not an awful option for that reason either, if I'm going to be purely political about it. It's like a great B choice. That's my defense of Alicent. I really have to think through what I want to say here, but first I want to say, ladies, gentlemen, and, and friends of the esteemed jury, <laughs> the, Tyrell, the high towers are not one of the top three choices in Westeros. There are whole Starks in Baratheons oh, and Lannisters. No, no, no. There are so many more choices. I want to. I want to rebuttal. <laughs> I want to rebuttal. I, I'm googling how powerful the high towers are. I'm, I'm not so... even done my intro yet. <laughs> Sorry, I need that. This is rude. I'm, I'm going. There's a gavel that needs to come down and send me out of the courtroom. I apologize for interrupting. It's but all to say, jury, my friends, my peers, marriage is more than a relationship. Marriage is a contract. Marriage is an agreement between two people. And when you sign a contract, you look not only at the emotional benefits, at the mental health benefits, you look at the financial and the moral benefits that an agreement may bring to not only you, but also everyone around you. And when you look at a potential marriage match, when you are the head of a country, you also have to consider the impacts of that marriage on everyone else. And when you look at Lena Valerian versus Alison Hightower, you have to find that the pros that Lena Valerian will bring have to outweigh any cons that Alison Hightower may beat her at. For, so she comes from the richest family in the realm. Her father runs the, almost the entire Navy. He's an extremely powerful voice on the small council. They come from, and this cannot be understated, pure Valyrian bloodline. They are able to ride dragons, the foundational principle of the Targaryens' rule. They bring all of those things to the table just by showing up. And it says nothing about the reputational benefit that it would bring by uniting the Valyrian houses together. Now, I acknowledge that Alison Hightower 
will be able to produce heirs almost immediately upon marriage. Well, there's already an heir. The heirs can wait. If there is a marriage, the heirs will come, especially with a bride as young and healthy as Lena Valerian. <laughs> and I really went at, on a weird tangent right at the end there, so I'm just going to try and fix it and say, uh, friends of the jury, I think it's very clear that the political and <laughs> factual benefits of a marriage with Lena Valerian outweigh the benefits of a marriage with Alison Hightower. Thank you. All right, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com or Twitter. I, I don't rep the Twitter enough if you want to let me know how badly I lost that argument. <laughs> I will say, I'm going to back myself a little bit. House Hightower is a top three powerhouse in Westeros. They are the third richest house behind the Valerians and the Lannisters. However, the Valerians are new on the scene. They were the richest house not that long ago until the Valerians came on the scene. So it is within the time the auto has been hand that the Valerians have up-jumped and Corliss has gone on his voyages and acquired all that wealth. And look, if shit goes bad in the step zones, you know who's still fucking rich as hell and powerful? Uh, Otto Hightower and Allison Hightower. You know whose power is dependent on this stepstones thing that's happening right now being good? Uh, the Valerian. So like, they are the richest, but they're also standing on the thinnest, most breakable pedestal of all the... Mm. Like, the Lannisters' gold mines ain't running out anytime soon. Like, it's not dependent on the crab feeder, you know? Yeah. All right. Okay, I will rebuttal your rebuttal just by saying <laughs> auto sucks. That's, That's it. Fair reason. <laughs> That's a fair reason. Don't pick That's Allison because it. <laughs> it means you'd be closer to auto for longer, and that is a bad choice all the time. All right. Uh, point four of our seven-pointed star dragon stuff. I got nothing out of it. We, we know what it is. Like, seeing the two dragons face off, like, face-to-face -face yeah. across ends of the bridge was incredible. It was so well-realized. The CGI budget, clearly there, looked cool, was cool. I was very happy with it. Yeah, I I just want to throw out, uh, or just give a shout-out to the sound production on this one, because Caraxes, one of his features is his super long neck, and it's considered to be weird in in dragon lore so they actually gave him a really like kind of odd high scratchy roar and i really appreciated that attention to detail wonderful point five nits to pick i already talked about mine so i'm just gonna brief briefly go over it um the only thing that i wanted to nitpick about this episode was i just wanted a little more about the process of marrying the king they make it seem so like simple that the king just needs to decide between Lena and then like no one else even thinks there's another option but like the show presents it as Lena versus Alicent and I just know that we've missed a bit where it's like every lord in the realm is trying to find any possible daughter for this match and like that surely adds to the stress and the and the anxiety of it all I just think we missed that but otherwise no nits to pick this was good yeah mine mine was also pretty quick I just really wish Viserys had pushed to see Damon after finding out he stole the egg Viserys and Rhaenyra knew exactly what he was doing. They both knew what buttons he was trying to push. And Viserys let himself be convinced off of going, and Rhaenyra didn't. I'm just... Uh, Viserys knows Damon better than anyone, so I'm just a little frustrated that he didn't push harder. Fair enough. Point number six. Episode awards. I think my favorite point. I like talking to you for two hours about the show. I really do. But, like, talking about the awards just gets me excited. Maybe this is the sports bro in me where I just like, I don't care about the season. I just want to get to the playoffs. Like who wins? <laughs> who wins? The Golden right. Dragon performance of the episode award for best acting performance, regardless of how much we care about the character. 
Um, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. I feel like you usually go first on this one. You got it. Okay, so I gave my runner-up to Emily Carey for Allison. I thought she was wonderful in this episode. I think she had a lot to work with, and she delivered really, really well. Um, especially in her scenes with Viserys, you can see that she is trying to be really appealing, but she's also incredibly nervous. And you can see that in, in her face and not just like in the fact that she's obviously picking her nails. So I thought, I thought that performance was really nuanced and excellent. Uh, but my winner for this week uh, goes to Millie Alcock for Rhaenyra. Because on a similar vein, I think she had a lot to work with this episode. She went through joy and grief and frustration and sadness and more frustration and vindictiveness and stubbornness. Um, and every time she stepped right up to the plate and gave it a home run. I really, really liked the scene on the bridge where she says like, if you're really that angry, just kill me now and be done with the bother. And I'm like, I fucking believe her. She means it. And so she takes it for me for the week. All right. Great picks. The fun about doing this is the, the acting in the show is so good all around. You can kind of, you could pick any two people and give me a, a reasonable argument as to why they should win. Could it be Corliss? Could it be Viserys? Like all these, all these mm -hmm. actors are doing such good work. Um, I went with Millie Alcock for my runner up, my hatchling, my honorable mention. Um, great performance. Loved it on the bridge. Loved it with Viserys. Loved it with Rhaenys. Like, just putting in a real barn burner of a performance. I think Millie Alcock was great. Emily Carey, I think, was worse than Millie Alcock in this one. Like, I think she had a little bit less to do and wasn't quite as good doing it. Still an all-star performance. Like, I'm gonna go, like, 9 out of 10 for Millie Alcock. Like, I think she's... Or Emily Carey. Like, I think she's doing exceptionally well. But this is the thing is someone has to win and someone has to lose. And I, I just think between Emily Carey and Millie Alcock, um, Millie Alcock was the better of the two in this particular episode, which you also agree with because you put Millie Alcock ahead as well. Um, I think this might just be blind auto hate from you, to be honest. Like Reese Fons as Otto Hightower is chewing on the scenery. If I ever describe you as chewing on the scenery, you are winning the best actor like Rhaenyra and Emily Carey and Millie Alcock and Viserys and all these people are, are, are doing it up to the highest level possible. Reese Fons is taken to the highest level and then doing some additional chewing on the scenery around him. When he is on that bridge, he is milking every syllable for everything it's worth. Every slight facial, facial expression, every little like hold of Allison's hand, to like be a supportive dad who's also pimping out his daughter and to like and to really sell that duplicativeness every kind of little look when he's trying to like run the gears in his head about how how much he needs to endorse the Lena Valerian thing to Viserys for him to buy that he's endorsing it while still pushing for Allison you could see the cogs turning in his head this man showed up to set for this episode and and literally did not miss a syllable of peak acting performance. Like Arisi Fons was so good, like so noticeably better than everyone else for this one. I it was the first name I put down for these awards. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> You're not going back to check. Like, <laughs> I will not be reconsidering at this time. Thank you. That is all good. All right, favorite character from this episode. I'll take this one, and then you'll take the next one. Um, favorite character. I went 
Second is Otto Hightower. And, and Rachel's not going to like this. Audience is not going to like this. I don't endorse many of the things he's doing. Almost none of them, to be in fact. But as a character, Otto Hightower is is the one character we need to absolutely crackle for this show to have the meaning it does and for the plot to be accelerated. Otherwise, it would just be a bunch of Targaryens fighting at each other. Otto Hightower is our one kind of non-Targaryen person who's being given the material and the screen time to work with to really add to the add to the show so that when we do get around to the Targaryens, there's some there's some meat there for them to work with, you know? And man, Otto in this episode is such a fucking little shit. And he's got his grubby hands and all the plot lines and he win like he is power play for the Allison being the queen. It fucking worked. Like he has destabilized the entire realm in a way and like forced the king to make a worse decision just by pure force of will, you know? And like he is like the little finger where it's like no one endorsed what little finger was doing, but he was a lot of people's favorite characters in that way. In most episodes, I do not feel this way about Otto Hightower, but in this episode, I feel like he added so much that he's my second favorite character. My winner though, it's not enough to pull him over the top. Um, no one can beat Rhaenyra just fucking dressing down Damon on that bridge. Rhaenyra is the best character. There's all the other stuff. I loved her at the Sept. I loved her with Viserys. I loved her with Alicent. I loved her with the rest of it. And just that bridge scene alone, Rhaenyra just badass fucking, I know we don't like the term, but badass girl boss with a dragon fucking just going 100-0 against her uncle, not even losing a single round. Like, it's awesome. It's great. Rhaenyra is the best character in this episode. It's back-to-back. Two wins for Rhaenyra. Best character. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will say for this one, I didn't give him either award, but I just, I really love Lionel. And it's <laughs> important Lionel. for people to know that. He had like two scenes, so it just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Uh, but my hatchling for this one uh, was actually Rhaenyra. She's not so, winning. Wow. She's not winning. Um, but again, I have a very bi- biased opinion. I'm sure people will disagree with me on this one. Um I thought Rhaenyra was lovely in this episode, uh, but for the existence of my winner, I would have picked her. Um, for all the reasons that you said, I think she really comes into her own. The scene on the bridge is fucking fantastic. When she actually just like seizes the opportunity to do something badass for herself, I love that. Um, but I think it would be almost hypocritical of me if I didn't pick this character for my winner, which would be uh, Rhaenys. Because I feel like the entire three hours that I've trapped you here, uh, <laughs> all I've been complaining about is that people aren't honest with each other. And that people aren't just straight up saying what the issue is and how you can fix it. And every scene Rhaenys is in in this episode she goes right to the core of what the issue is and she tells the person she's talking to the best way to deal with it if it's shitty or not shitty doesn't really matter if it kind of vibes with sexism or not doesn't really matter she's going to tell you what you should hear and no one else was doing that this episode and everyone else was tiptoeing around the truth so just for this episode i have to give it to rainies fair enough I agree with that. Like, this is another thing. It's like, you can make a reasonable argument for so many of the characters, which is how you know we're watching an all-time show. Like, Rhaenys yeah. wasn't even on my radar. And just listening to you talk about it, I'm like, she is the best character forever. Like, not, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. The Otto Hightower Least Favorite Character Award. Um, You've done something normal. 
I have done something crazy, but you get to go first for this one. So what have you done? Is this the same as last time? I can't even remember. I think this might be the same as last time. It's it's vaguely the same. Yeah. So my my runner up for this one uh, was Viserys, because uh, every time he had an opportunity to be open and honest, he chose not to do that and ended up causing a lot of kerfuffle. You're a real fan of the openness and honesty. It's putting Rhaenys at the top. It's moving Viziti down to the bottom. I like this for you. Like, there's a real through line to your picks that, like, the listener of this podcast can, like, because now the listener can watch episode three and go, I know how Rachel's going to feel about this. This person's not being honest. I, mean, I, I like this for you that there's a through line. I just, I value integrity. So it's one of the reasons I like Lionel. It just, and you could be a shitty person. With but as long as you're, as long as you're straightforward about it, I know what to expect <laughs> from you. I, Damon Targaryen, a fucking asshole. You're like, yeah! Well, that's literally like he steals a dragon egg and Viserys is like, oh, he just wants attention. Sorry, I'm derailing your section again. I apologize. It's okay. I'm just, it's so, wine and I'm having uh, so I I should probably get another martini after this because I'm vibing. But yeah, Viserys was just really frustrating for me in this episode but, uh, for all the dishonesty reasons, but also there were just two scenes with Rhaenyra where he really had a chance to be supportive of her and be inviting and be a mentor and teach her. And he chose to dismiss her. And that was extremely frustrating for me. So uh, that put him in the runner up for my least favorite uh, character of the week. And for obvious reasons, because he exists, Otto Hightower (laughs) is my least favorite character of the week. Uh, Brad, would you like a run at this one? <laughs> sure, I'll take Otto. Okay, here's what I've done, folks. You may be asking, how can Otto Hightower be on your favorite character list in second place, no less, and also be your least favorite character? And I will respond to you, is my fucking podcast and I make the rules. Don't try and... don't. Try. You may be asking, hey, Brad, as a sports person who is so anti not knowing the rules... I'm having a hard time understanding your rules for favorite and least favorite character. To that I say, I never said I wasn't a hypocrite. You assumed I wasn't a hypocrite. You made an error in listening to this podcast, assuming that I was going to act with integrity, because I'm making shit up. Otto Hightower is the worst character this episode. I fuck. Like, he's like still the least favorite. Like, even when he's at maximal, I don't think he'll ever win an episode. Like, he is at maximal favoritism from me for how much juice the character of Otto Hightower just brings to the, the, the plot line that's happening. And yet, I still, when you come, like, who is your least favorite character? There's no one even close. It is Otto Hightower. Like, he just is. Like, I think, like you, I'm not even going to dignify with an explanation for all the things like just him being Otto Hightower make we named the award after him. I would not be surprised if I go 10 for 10 or whatever. Like, like yeah. it is, it is bad. Like I don't like yeah. him. I really don't like him. Um, my hatchling too. I couldn't even, and this was a genuine one. Like I'm not chickening out this episode. I really loved so much. I could not definitively find a second person mm-hmm. whose character I was not enjoying. And so I just put the maggots, which I don't know if I loved, but there wasn't like a standout person that was like, helpful. yeah, it's like, whatever. Okay. We're moving on. Um, I will just, I will just say, I, I just want to clarify for the record. I think Reese Fonts is, is wonderful. I think he does a fantastic job in the role. I think I'm suffering from a Joffrey situation. Okay. Like, Interesting. But 
Um, I, I just don't want to discredit his performance because his performance is lovely. You're all, you can hate, this is your podcast too. You can hate Otto as much as you want. You know, who, yeah. you're never going to find out about it. Like people, you're, you hate as much as you want to hate. Just let all the hate out. And then if people don't like it, they can just send an email. And that's fine. Okay. <laughs> then you can hate that and they can send an email and it's wonderful. All right. The Home Alone Worst Parent Award. Rachel, what are you doing? Okay. This one, I, I went a little off script. I just uh, saw what you put and like tried not to laugh out loud. <laughs> um. I put my uh, runner-up for this one, my hatchling, as Damon, even though he's not an actual parent, uh, but his first move as a potential parent was to put his child into mortal peril. Immediate mortal danger. <laughs> right off the bat. There, that's a, you know what? You're, like, look, like, listener, we're not acting with integrity here. We're making shit up. Rachel's also making shit up. Damon's not a parent, mm -hmm. yet he's still getting second place, so too bad. I mean, and then he, well, he was still prepared to, like, then conceive the baby and still have that baby be raised in a situation of mortal peril. So maybe it's the Home Alone Worst Potential Parent Award? Um, and then I feel like the really only, the only alternative in this one would have been Viserys. And I feel bad giving a runner-up to Viserys in this one because he's, like, super greedy. Um... But I just gave Home Alone Worst Parent to Otto. Uh, one, because he's the worst. Two, because he he gets a moment alone with Allison to try and make her feel better. And instead of saying, are you okay? I've put a lot of pressure on you. How can I help? He says, hey, daughter, you're pretty hot. Why are you picking your nails? Because, like, I want you to sleep with the king. Automatic Worst Parent of the Week award. Yeah, I have done a similar thing. I decided that this was the question that I would act with integrity on and did not pick Damon, although your reasoning is sound. Uh, I've gone. I have not, I'm unchanged from episode one. Viserys Targaryen coming in a hot second place, does a shit job parenting Rhaenyra throughout the entire episode. Would have won. Was the decisive winner until that last scene with Otto and Allison, the same one you picked up. I'm not going to elaborate any more than what you said. It puts him in the last place. It just does. Yeah. It just, it just does. does. It's fucking Otto Hightower. Jesus, what is he doing? <laughs> the hottest pie award scene that you wish hot pie was in. I just thought it would be so funny if he was in the garden, just picking flowers or something while Viserys and Lena were walking through. Like, it seems creepy. It's a little weird. The only thing I could think that would make that fun and exciting is just hot pie strolling through for half a second. Not long. Just long enough for me to be like, Wait, is that hot pie? And just, like, be distracted from the creepiness happening. I think that would be lovely. Oh, every scene that Hot Pie is in is lovely. Uh, but for my part, I picked the dinner scene with Viserys and Allison. Because um, I thought it'd be really funny if they're like kind of flirting and it's awkward. And then he comes in and he's like, hello, my name is Hot Pie. I have Hot Pies. Would you like Hot Pies? And then he gives oh, them Hot Oh, I pies. see. That's a good one. And then he leaves, and it's not explained and not delved into at all. He just comes in, gives them hot pies, and leaves. So I really want that. All right. 
And that is going to do it for the non-spoiler section of this podcast. If you would not like to be spoiled, we're about to go to 0.7 of our seven-pointed star. This is book and spoilery stuff. I think we'll probably keep it to five or ten minutes again this episode. We don't have a ton here, but we don't want to spoil you if you don't want to be spoiled. So hop out now. If you did enjoy this podcast, leave a review. Check the show notes for all the cool things there. There's a Twitter and a Facebook and all kinds of stuff. So go check that out. Uh, If you are leaving us now, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week for episode three. Rachel. We're in the spoiler zone. We can say anything we like now. I, <laughs> what did you spoil? This is fun to talk. What did you spoil this episode? We got Sea Smoke. Sea Smoke spoiled. Fucking Sea Smoke. Um, what else is it? Your your backtrack on Lionel was so funny. Lionel, Lionel was so funny. Like, oh, I love Lionel so much in all 10 episodes of this. Oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. Maybe I hate him. Maybe I hate Lionel. Maybe Lionel sucks, actually. That was pretty good. I did the same thing. It's hard. It's really hard. I did the same thing with Otto where I just now where I was like, I think I'll go 10 for 10, implying that Otto is in all 10 episodes. Yeah. Right. The, it's like, the I, it's smoke was the biggest. Yeah. The sea I, smoke was unnecessary <laughs> from you. I felt bad about that. The Lionel one was understandable. Okay. Now that we're done accidentally spoiling shit, let's intentionally spoil shit. Um, the only thing I really wanted to mention was how accidentally destructive this decision was because the way it's framed in the show is the Lena decision builds more security, but choosing Allison doesn't make it less secure. It kind of maintains a neutral level of insecure with the Valerians and like the, the realm is interpreting the crown as weak, but not weaker for choosing Allison, just not stronger for choosing Lena, Mm -hmm. but making Rhaenyra's, best friend her stepmother is such a small thing that is going to completely ruin that dynamic which is going to cause all kinds of problems and then you know tying yourself to the high towers is going to have a dynamic that's going to cause all kinds of problems when Aegon is born right and it's just this one small like and i don't know how much of this was avoidable like if lena valerion marries the king and they have a, a child who is male how much of the fighting you get anyway to have a male on the throne is like a it's like a double negative because you can't prove it either way like you can't yeah. you know what i mean so i think some of this is just built into any decision but man just just knowing how this ends up for alice and terrain you're like fuck pick lena please pick lena let them be friends forever yeah i mean like the political circumstances you know we obviously see down the line i think what's more devastating here is you start to see the relationships fall apart yeah, I because, agree. Because, like, you start to see, like, Rhaenyra and v- Viserys can't even talk to each other. They can't even have a real conversation. Allison and Viserys, like, they're going to get married. He didn't even bother proposing to her. Um. Yeah, like, Viserys couldn't communicate with Corlys that he was going to go with someone else. Um. Viserys couldn't even go talk to Damon. So, like, all of these really important relationships that kind of are the foundation of royal power in King's Landing, you see them start to fracture in really significant ways. And it's more than just the the wedding to Allison. It's more like the, the situation that brought about that decision was a result of these relationships failing. One of the things 
that I found interesting, and I found it so hard not to bring up in the main part of the podcast because it, it was just a straight up spoiler, was yeah. it turns out old Vizzy T and his anti-dragon propaganda was mostly correct. Damon brings his whole ass dragon down to the Stepstones and accomplishes next to nothing. Rhaenyra's idea of bringing the dragons down did not end up being the correct decision. It takes Damon to go on like a weirdly suicidal mission. Like the dragons yeah. end up being helpful, but it does muddy the waters and that they're not definitive. The, the, I... like they, were, they were losing the battle in the Stepstones with dragons. And Viserys needs to send more actual physical men. And so I just like that the show's ultimate come down on the dragons in the next episode is going to be that dragons simply don't just cheat code your way through battles. All these people are going to do is hide in the caves. And now your dragons are kind of useless, which I think is interesting because it, it allows Viserys to be more multi-layered and to have his instincts sometimes actually be correct. Yeah, I think, okay. I wonder if the dragons would have been more effective if they'd actually sent the three dragons at once. Yeah, they wouldn't because have sent Damon's. It's kind of a two. Just, it's kind of like Maylis and Cyrax. Like Damon's exiled right now. He's squatting in Dragonstone. Like he's not part of this. But yeah, but yeah, two so still. Like Two's a lot. Yeah, Cyrax and Rainy and sorry, uh, Maylis at the same time. Then you get the main area, and then you cover also the retreat route. Um, so I think like maybe if he had been a little more assertive and said, go right now, take as many dra adult dragons as we have, do one, one through, kill, run through rather, uh, kill as many as you can come back. Maybe we would have seen it differently. Yeah. I would have really liked to see Caraxes stick like his whole long ass neck into a cave and be like, bitch, you thought you could escape me? Yeah, that is true. It's like, <laughs> are the caves that helpful? Like, can you not just turn a cave into a furnace by breathing fire into the front of it? Like, anyways yeah i just think the show's ultimate come down is that the dragons did not solve this issue specifically they were helpful in solving it but the dragons alone were not the solution to this problem is where the show ultimately comes down and i think that's all i want to talk about for spoilers like i don't want to get ahead of the other episodes or they're not fun to talk about on a podcast but those are the things that were interesting to me yeah i think that's pretty much it for me as well i mean we've we've talked about a lot of stuff and even stuff we weren't supposed to talk about like sea smoke that's okay like <laughs> next week the viewers are going to be like whoa sea smoke where did we hear that before <laughs> all right well that's going to be it for the spoiler section we have completed seven points the seven points starting two hours and 40 minutes so that's a huge win it's under three if it's under three hours that's so good for us so we're taking it uh if you if you made it to the spoiler section uh, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear your thoughts on house of the dragon in this podcast i've already told you about all the stuff in the show notes Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for episode number three.